is the Liberty NZ Breakfast. Taking a look back at some of the news that shaped the past week, I'm Matt Boyland. Donald Trump took aim at the World Health Organization in a new scathing video posted to his social media site. The former president unleashed on the organization which he said had become a corrupt globalist scam funded by the United States but owned and controlled by China. When the China virus reached our shores three years ago, the World Health Organization disgracefully covered the tracks of the Chinese Communist Party every single step of the way. For this reason, it was my great honor to terminate America's relationship with the World Health Organization. Trump then blasted Joe Biden for agreeing to pay the organization almost half a billion dollars a year for 330 million citizens, while China stumps up just $40 million for over a billion people. So we had 330, they have 1.4, and we're paying more than 10 times the amount. That's typical for the United States because they don't know what the hell they're doing. I could have renegotiated the deal. I could have gone into the World Health Organization for $25 million. Biden didn't take that deal. He's paying almost $500 million. The ex-commander-in-chief also lashed Biden for wanting to bypass the U.S. Senate in order to enter a new treaty with the World Health Organization that would require the U.S. to send medical supplies to other nations in the event of another pandemic and push aggressive censorship of free speech on issues of public health. Under the next Trump administration, that treaty will be immediately terminated. I would not allow public health to be used as a pretext to advance the march of global government. That's what they're doing, globalists. The United States will withdraw from the corrupt World Health Organization, which, in light of its utter failure on COVID, deserves to be completely abolished and replaced. Then I will work to forge a new coalition of nations that are strongly committed to protecting health, while also upholding sovereignty and freedom. Meanwhile, U.S. Senator John Kennedy also took aim at the president, saying Biden's weakness on the world stage had paved the path for the new war in the Middle East. Our enemies have, have included that America has a pres- president who's a bit of a weenie on national defense, and she and Putin and the Ayatollah think they can roll over him like thunder on a summer night. And that's, I think, why we're here. Peace through weakness never works. These are hard men. They interpret 
being a nice guy, quoting Socrates to them, they interpret that as a weakness. And as U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Israel on his tour of the Middle East this week, it was revealed Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky wanted to go with him, but Tel Aviv rejected his request. Here with his thoughts is TNT's Patrick Henningsen. This really can be classed as a feel-good story. Zelensky was ready to suit up, to boot up, to head to Israel for the big photo op in the green t-shirt and the camos, hanging out with the IDF, hanging out with Netanyahu, try to raise some profile, raise some money. The cash has dried up. There's no weapons. There's no more cash. The United States is running IOUs now for Kiev because all the money, all the arms, all the military might is being redirected to America's allies. Israel. It's left Zelensky out in the cold. And to add insult to injury, the Israelis don't want him either. He said, I want to come to Israel. I want to be with BB. And the Israelis said, it's not a good time. We're kind of busy right now. Uh, we're going to pass. So the leader of the democratic world, Vladimir Zelensky, has been snubbed once again. His profile continues to plummet. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen. Thank you very much, Patrick. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, Grant Edwards here. Liberty NZ Breakfast, the early bird show, 5 o'clock, 5 past 5. Uh, we'll check out the weather, see what's happening with the weather, and we'll also go across all the, um, have a look at all the newspapers and see what's happening over there. We'll be back in a moment. The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. TNT Radio's Bruce DeTorres. Too many Americans and people in other countries feel powerless. In school, we were trained to wait until it was time to do what we were told. Go to the next class where we would wait until it was time to do what we were told. We did not evaluate situations and make decisions about what to do. Now, too many of us are terrified if we have to evaluate situations and decide what to do. Making decisions and acting on them are how we exercise power. We didn't exercise power then, so we feel powerless now. And that's why we let so much evil happen. We don't think or feel we can do anything about it. The cure is to start evaluating situations and making decisions and acting on them. You will develop trust in your judgment and enjoy exercising power over yourself and your own life. Then you will enjoy encouraging others to do the same things. And together, we can roll back what is hurting us and we can create new solutions that make life enjoyable. Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Uh, oh yeah, he's very good. I've been listening to him over the weekend. Right, let's look at New Zealand. New Zealand weather. Firstly, the extremes. Uh, Auckland, you're top of the pops right now. It's seven minutes past five. Auckland and Manukau, fifth the 13.5 degrees. Omarama, that's down the Mackenzie country. It's point one degree. Very cold down in the South Island, especially on the Mackenzie country. The highest wind is at uh, Mahia Peninsula, 31 kilometres per hour, ripping through there. And the Chatham Islanders, you're wet at the moment. It's six degrees over there and you've got 0.4 millimetres of rain falling per hour, I suppose. Uh, looking at the temperatures across the main centres, not the main divide, still haven't figured out what that is, whether it's the, um, I don't know, is that Mackenzie country? Is that the main divide? Or is it the... Um, or is it the mountains, the Southern Alps? I don't know. I don't know. Someone, someone, tell me what it is. Uh, phone number here. You can phone if you like. Best to text though, because I might not see it there. Uh, but we are going to start that too. Once we build up the numbers, we've uh, of New Zealanders. We've got a lot of people in Canada and the United States. Uh, but 
but, 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 because they like country music, you see. But here in New Zealand, we haven't got that many. I mean, we've got a few. Uh, <laughs> Stewart Island now, that you've got seven degrees at the moment. We're just looking at the temperatures across the main centre. Stewart Island, seven. Invercargill, it's quite chilly there this morning. Queenstown as well, two and three degrees for you two. Dunedin's on six. Timaru has eight degrees. Christchurch, five. Uh, it's a bit of a cold spell there, isn't it? And we've got some interesting weather on the way too with Cyclone Lola. La, 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 Lola. Uh, France Joseph, 10 degrees. Westport 12 along with Nelson um, Christchurch we told you yeah, we talked about that haven't we five degrees for you Blenheim is on six degrees and across to the North Island now the bottom of the North Masterton and Wellington are both on seven degrees Napier 11 along with Gisborne Palmerston North has 10 New Plymouth has 11 Tarpo 6 along with Rotorua Tauranga is on 12 along with Hamilton Auckland very warmly today 13 and a half degrees in Manukau almost 14 for Auckland Whangarei is on 13 and Kaitaia has 11 degrees the short forecast for all of New Zealand valid until midnight tonight I've got a little bit of a funny noise happening in my hearing in my phones, but it's probably not bothering you, so I'll just uh, proceed. I'll press on. How's that? Uh, Northland for Auckland and also Coromandel Peninsula. Cloudy periods with isolated showers. Clearing Coromandel in Auckland this afternoon for Waikato. Bay of Plenty in the central high country, mainly fine weather, but cloudy. Cloudy areas are returning from late afternoon and evening with isolated light showers for you. And uh, in Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, cloudy and isolated showers clearing to fine through the morning. Waitomo, Taranaki to Wellington also for the Wairarapa, fine weather apart from areas of morning and evening cloud. Buller, Nelson and Westland, partly cloudy. Uh, with isolated showers clearing in the afternoon. Marlborough, Canterbury, Otago and Southland, mainly fine weather apart from areas of morning cloud in the east. Cloud increasing again in the south this evening. And Fiordland becoming cloudy morning with ice, uh, this morning, I should say, with isolated showers developing. And then turning to rain overnight. And the Chathams right now, 0.3 millimetres of rain is falling there. Cloudy periods with the odd light shower. All right, when I come back, we'll have a look at the newspapers. When you can point me to an industry... To a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of ten Americans. That's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live. Oh yeah. Okay, we're on. Uh, where am I going to go first? I've been. I've been having a look at X. I find that a real struggle. I do. I don't. Does anybody else? I have a look at it and I sort of think, oh gosh. I mean, it's just a stuff everywhere. I mean, I sort of got used to f- Facebook, but Facebook is so restricted, isn't it? I mean, you can't do anything or say anything over there, especially uh, me. But uh, because the stuff I say, gosh, it's out there, isn't it? Uh, but I'll have a look. Uh, there's some new things that have just come through here. I've just got to find, how do you get to the top of this? Oh, there you go. Boom. There we go. Reuters. More than a thousand migrants arrived in the Canary Islands in a single day after making the dangerous journey from Africa. Rescuers said one boat, and I'm looking at them here. Gosh, the poor thing. Oh, they all look all right. They're all dark. Um, Lots of men, young men, battle-aged. Oh, there's a few women there. They look pretty good. Yeah, I don't like to see a lot of men, young men coming across, like the ones that are coming into the UK. Uh, coming across the channel there, she looks all right. Oh, the poor things have had a had a rough trip, and they pay a lot of money. Some of them, so they're never the real. You know, he looks a bit like a battle aged. There's a lot of um, 
battle-aged people, and most of them are Muslims. They're letting. I think they're bringing in a private army, an army of Muslims. I think the Catholics did that. They recruited the uh, the Arabs to kill all the Jews and Christians, the Bible-believing Christians. That was around about I don't know the eighth century or something. I can't quite remember. Um, oh, I'm just looking at a. I'm just looking at a word. It's trending over here. It's this 2011 post, and, and the trending one uh, headline is wankers. Goodness me. <laughs> so this is the list. Wankers, Donald's, Pfizer, Jenna. Anyway, I'll get back to this other story. So what have we got there? All these migrants coming in. This is Reuters. Um, it's just that I'm not used to looking at things on X, but I'm just sort of working my way down. You'll have to bear with me. Now, what have we got here? And now you see in a nutshell why Tucker had to be removed from the platform of Fox before 2024 campaign. This is this is Sharon Atkinson. Now I must be. She's that's a, a Laura Logan repost. So Laura Logan, I like her. She's a 35-year veteran uh, war correspondent. Actually, if you don't know about Laura Logan, go uh, Lara. Actually, Lara L A R A. I call it Laura, but it's actually she. She sounds like she's saying Laura when I listen to her on the radio, or, or watch her on a video. Uh, okay, so gosh, there's all sorts of things going on here. I'd, I don't know. I can't really sort of make head or tail of it. Here's Lara Logan. She says, they never wanted you to hear from this man because he was the integrity, or sorry, has the integrity and experience and character to always tell you the truth about things that matter most. They are in the process of dismantling this country and the world. They don't want leaders like him. Now, who are they talking about? Oh, Donald Trump. There you go. Trump campaign. Yes. No wonder they got rid of him. What does General Mike Flynn say? Now, they were hard on him, weren't they? War clouds on the horizon are never a good thing. They grow darker by the day. The closer we get to the beachheads, airfields, deserts and jungles of our enemies. Hmm. And then the next one down, I've got the... um, Now, this looks like Australia, is it? Pamela Geller. Is that Pamela Geller? Looks like her. Uh, what does she say? F you. Oh, no, somebody else here saying that to her. Uh, absolutely put bang right on. I, we, I guess we'd have to see that. And I can't really do this, can I? Because you really have to be there. You have to watch the videos. And I can't play them all. Gosh. All right, we'll move. move. I'll have to master X. I'm not very good at it. What about um, Truth? I've had a look at that. I, just, I shouldn't really be doing this at quarter past five in the morning when I'm only just sort of... Got onto it, but um, majority leader, this is Mitch McConnell. He says aid for Israel, Ukraine must be tied together. What is it? What was it? A hundred and five billion dollars that Biden's asking the Senate for, or Congress? Who does he ask? I wonder the other. I get confused. I don't know much about republics, but it sounds like it's a good idea to me to have a republic. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he made the case on Sunday that the US aid for Israel and Ukraine needs to be lumped into one package despite grumbles from within the Republican Party. And uh, there was another one here, Kevin McCarthy. So we're looking at the Washington Times now. What do they say? Representative Kevin McCarthy, a process for next House Speaker is embarrassing for the nation. Really, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy called for unity in his party on Sunday while saying the GOP is embarrassing and its inability to coalesce around the candidate to be the next speaker. More on the Washington Times, and a gunman has killed and was killed rather in a shootout in Washington, D.C. This was on Friday, so that'll be Saturday New Zealand time. They shot and killed the gunman in the southeast. 
after the suspect opened fire on two police officers and left one in a serious condition with serious injuries in hospital. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken, the US uh, doesn't, this is what he says, uh, Blinken, a Biden administration doesn't know why Hamas released the two hostages. The US doesn't know why. That's interesting. You'd think they would know. Why did they do it? I don't know. I don't think that they... That, well, my my opinion is, and I, you know I'm very biased when it comes to Israel because I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I'm a Zionist. Now, what is a Zionist? Well, I believe that the the homeland for the Jewish people from all over the world, all over the diaspora, is Israel, the land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I have to be. I believe the Bible. I believe it from cover to cover, even what's written on the, just on the inside to grant a Christmas gift, I think it was, Christmas was it, or birthday, and it was a birthday, 1976, a birthday gift for my mother, um, a King James Bible that, that I didn't read. Why? Because, oh, well, I was told by everyone that that's an old King James Bible. No one believes that anymore. No one sort of follows that. It's all old old language. So we follow the new version. What what are the new ones? Oh, the NIV, uh, the New International Version. And you know who the publisher of the New International Version is? Have a guess. I've forgotten his name now. He owns Fox News. What's his name? You know, the Australian guy. I can't remember his name. Anyway. I diverse. I'm very good at getting sidetracked, aren't I? 17 minutes past five, and we'll get back. We'll get back to truth. We're on Truth Social. This is Donald Trump's one. It's actually quite good. Um, it's a lot easier to navigate for a newbie like me um, than X's. I don't know what's the story with X. Have you ever done a study on words that end in X? I think it's a really bad name, and it's black, black and white. There's nothing in nature. That's black. Do you know that? It's a dark colour. People that wear black. I talked about that last week. People that wear black. There's something strange about them. Sometimes I, find, I look at myself and I've put my black pants on because I've got some cheap, uh, some shorts on the farm, and they're quite robust. And I couldn't fit them for a while because I came. I was a bit of a fat bugger. You know, I got quite fat and tubby. Got up to because I'm only what a five foot eight or something, and I was up to like eighty seven kgs. And uh, 87 kgs—that's a lot for that, you know, that for an old guy like that. It shouldn't be anywhere near that. I should be sort of around. Um, oh, I don't know. Oh, anywhere between between 60, 67, and I think 71, somewhere around there. And I'm 72 at the moment. I think should be a bit lighter. 72, and yeah, 70. I'd like to be 70 kgs. That's what I was when I was about 17. I think. And then, then I got into other jobs that, that made, you know, where you sit in the car, sell, going, taking people around, showing them properties and stuff like that, sitting in a radio studio before that, and you just end up getting fat, don't you? And, he, and you know, no, I didn't know anything about carbohydrates and all that sort of stuff. I didn't know. And um, didn't know about, you know, protein and how wonderful it is and how it heals the body and how they're, oh, they're not, they're trying to get us away from eating carbohydrates, aren't they? Anyway, Grant, get back to the, um, get back to Truth Social. Oh, okay, let's do that. Uh, right, now we've got to the two hostages. What is, we talked about that, didn't we? Washington Times, a new staff, a staff member. Now, this is this is not good. This is not good. Staff member of the U.S. Senator Katie Britt. She was robbed at gunpoint in northeast D.C. Washington's getting a bit nasty, isn't it? And uh, Dan Scavino, what does he say? The FIT, now I'm not sure what that is. That's for the 21st Century Act will protect consumers and small businesses ensuring jobs thrive here in America, not overseas. Oh, okay, Dan. 
Uh, and Dan Scavino, what does he say? Talking, oh, that's right. The 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, is to hold a rally in Haila. It looks like Haila, is it? Haila, high, it'd be high. They go Hylia in Florida. I'm sure I got that right. There you go. And uh, what else have we got? Going down the list there, got Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin. He's interesting. Glenn Beck. These are all the people now. Okay, so what have we got? Oh, here we go. Now, in the Philippines, a Chinese Philippines vessel collided in disputed waters near West Philippines. A Chinese and Philippines vessel collided Sunday near the disputed shoal in the South China Sea, prompting an exchange of accusations between two nations and a U.S. statement of support for Manila. And uh, Donald J. Trump, here we are. I've got one. I had to go. He was my first first friend, <laughs> the first one that I, uh, on Truth Social, I like it, this is his, isn't it, he started it, it's uh, really good, I think it's going to grow, Sydney Powell, he says, one of the millions and millions of people who thought, uh, and in ever-increasing numbers still think correctly that the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen, and our country is being absolutely destroyed because of it, he says in up, all uppercase, despite the f- uh, fake news reports to the contrary, and without ever uh, reaching out to ask Trump campaign, Ms. Powell was not my attorney. They said that she was, and never was, according to Trump. In fact, she would have been conflicted. Ms. Uh, Ms. Powell, he says here, did a valiant job of representing a very unfairly treated and governmentally abused General Mike Flynn, but to no avail. His prosecution, despite the facts, the ru- uh, ruthless, well, he said it was ruthless, he was an innocent man, much like many other innocent people who were being persecuted by this now fascist government of ours, and I was honoured to give him, that's Mike Flynn, a full pardon. There we are, Trump won, Biden cheated. Now, um, there was another one, I, oh, look at this here, now this is these memes, isn't it? I've got this meme, you've got, um, what's his name there, the guy, oh, name's just gone out of my head, I had it a minute ago, a second ago. Uh, there's no evidence of voter fraud. Now, here's a checklist. All right, ask yourself this. Dead voters, did they use them? Yes, confirmed. Corrupt tabulation software? Yes, that's been confirmed. Dominion executive part of Biden's team? Yes, we know that. Observers illegally removed? Yes, that's confirmed. Mathematical impossibilities? Absolutely confirmed. 15,000 plus ballots missed in Georgia? Confirmed. More voters than people in the country? Confirmed. Fake signatures accepted? Confirmed. Whistleblowers alleged wrongdoing? Alleging wrongdoing, I should say. That's been confirmed. Hundreds of sworn affidavits? That's confirmed. Voting system processing parts from China? That's confirmed. Voting machines vulnerable to hacks? That's confirmed. So Trump won, didn't he? And he'll win again, I think, too, with 100,000 votes. Yep. 2024. I think he will get in. Even if he's in jail, I think he'll still <laughs> he'll still get in. I really think that. It's 24 minutes past five. You're listening to Liberty NZ, uh, the early bird show here until seven o'clock normally, but we might go over because I've, I'm, I don't know, I'm having a bit of fun here with all the other things. We'll have a look and see what happened on this day in history in just a moment. Well, I better not do that. We better get stick to the news there, mate. Stick to your knitting, as my mother used to say. Uh, well, it was actually my brother who used to say that, I think. 
Uh, now, what have we got here? Tom Jones is far from usual life. Oh, yeah. now, now I'm over at Microsoft Start. I haven't done this before either. Road accidents apparently for not wearing seatbelts claim the life of Northam woman in a second weekend fatal crash. Well, I better have a quick look at that, haven't I? We'll look at it together. That's what we do. You haven't got time to read the newspapers. I've got all the well. I have done. Have I got all the time in the world? Not really, but I've got enough time until probably can do it till sort of eight o'clock. Uh, road accidents, not wearing seatbelts. Claims the life of a nor a Northland woman. That's up north for the second fatal crash, and this has just come to light here, and it looks nasty. Good grief! I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the car, and it's absolutely smashed. There's two of them there. It looks like two car collision. The emergency service respond to a fatal three-way car crash. Oh, three, which claimed the life of an elderly woman on State Highway One south of Huangarei on Saturday. Motorists are being urged once again to wear their seatbelts. I think that should be up to the individual. I don't think it's got anything to do with governments. I believe that if you don't want to wear your seatbelt and you want to be an idiot, then don't wear one. And sometimes it's just not expedient to wear one. If you're, you know, going to the shops and you're doing like 30 kilometres per hour, I mean, you know, it could hurt, knock your teeth out. But uh, that's happened. We never wore seatbelts when we were kids. We used to sit in the front with Dad. Dad used to put his arm out. If he had to stop in a hurry, he'd put his arm arm out to hold you into your seat because you're sitting up there with your feet under your bum, and um, you know, want to see, trying to see over the over the um, the bonnet with the glove box opened and pretending it's a steering wheel, watching Dad like a hawk with his, you know, how he pushed the clutch in and the accelerator and all that and moved the gears, the gear column shift on the Mark II Zephyr, just to see how it all did, how it all worked. So by the time I was four and a half, I was driving. Because I, I, I was, I, before I got all my last shots, my vaccines, I was a pretty sharp kid. I did. I drove a Mark II Zephyr uh, on our back lawn with my brother out the window egging me on. And I drove it. I couldn't see very well, but I knew because I'd been watching Dad. Watching like a hawk. I was a clever little ch- chap. I was, until the vaccine injury, where my parents said, you stopped asking questions. All of a sudden, you just stopped. That was it. Didn't, and I can remember, I've told you this before, I remember, I distinctly remember not being able to think anymore. Because I used to be able to think and nut things out. I could do stuff in my head. Incredible. Now I can't. I mean, I am vaccine injured. And I'm, I'm getting on a bit now. And uh, you just got to live with it, I suppose. Uh, but of course, they've been covering it up, having obs, obs, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Cover up. Obfuscate, I think it's called. Ob means cover it over, and fuse is dark. We'll be having a look at, um, I think it's the Palmerston North Hospital. That's that central DHB, how they covered up, how they killed a man, uh, a, a famous shearer and commentator, killed him in the hospital by giving him an ear embolism, and then they tried to cover it up. We'll have a look at that story as well. I was looking at that over the weekend. Okay, motorists have been urged once again to wear their seatbelts, after a woman fell out of a moving vehicle and died. Well, why don't you shut the door properly? What, what, what do you mean? This sounds a bit dodgy. What do you mean you fell out of a vehicle? What was it after? Crap, well, read on, you'll find out. Oh, okay, right. Read on then. All right, now this is an Onikura Road in Waipapa. That's north of now Waipapa, Waipapa. That, isn't that way up Waipapa? I thought Waipapa was... Oh, I thought that was way up sort of near uh, Kerikeri, but... That might be why Papa. Oh, I don't know. Um, anyway, a serious police and an analyst Jeff Cramp 
He said the woman, believed to be in her 30s, succumbed to her injuries after police were alerted on the crash or uh, of the crash at, at 3.35 a.m. What's she doing up there driving at that hour of the morning? She should be in sleep, asleep in bed next to your husband. If you're 30, you should be married by then. Anyway, have like at least six kids by now. Come on, you've got to keep up. If we don't keep breeding, the Muslims are going to outbreed us and we're in trouble. I'll tell you what, we've got far too many of them in this country. I'm not being racist, we've just, we've just got far too many. And I am worried that many of those people will be a silent cell, a Muslim terrorist cell, and we're going to be in trouble. We really are. We're seeing it happen all over the world. We'll have a look at that as well. I can't imagine that I can get through the news that we've got here today by eight, by 7 o'clock. I think it'll be in 8 o'clock, so from 5 to 8. All right, so what's the time now? It is 20, 28 minutes for those of you listening and driving and on your way to work. Some of you do work rather early. Uh, it's 27, I think it is, 27 past. I can't see very well today, 27 past five, yes. Now, Cramp said the initial investigation revealed that the woman was not wearing her seatbelt when she fell out of the front passenger seat of the moving vehicle. What is, was she pushed? What did she fall? Hmm. Seems, I bet, if I was a police officer, I'd be thinking, hmm, that seems rather strange. Wearing a seatbelt saves lives. Uh, yeah, but there's a door that holds you in as well. You know <laughs> Did, Was she in an argument with somebody and it's tried to get out? Because women can do stupid things like that. You know, they'll, they'll jump out. Honestly, I've heard of a case where a woman was on a boat with her husband. They were having an argument. She jumped overboard right in the middle of a channel. It was a busy channel. She jumped overboard. What a crazy... Women can be a bit crazy, can't they? That that just about gave the husband kittens, and the kids just about went nuts as well. Good grief. The things that people do to get attention is unbelievable. Anyway, this may not be that sort of a case, but sometimes people do silly things like that. You know, it could be suicidal. Who knows? Unfortunately for some people, seatbelts are the last thing they think of putting on when it should be the other way around. It gives you... What is all this about? What is this really about? It says here almost 90% of fatal and serious crashes. This is just a promo. A promo for seatbelts. I'd be wanting to know how the heck she fell out of a car. Was she pushed? She wasn't driving. What was the driver doing? Where is the story? There's no story in this. It's just just an ad for wearing seatbelts. Just, you know, nanny state. I don't believe anyone should be forced to wear anything. I don't think there should be any. Do you know that some kids can't even go and buy If they want to buy cigarettes when they're older, they're not allowed to now. This fascist government that, uh, that's just gone out, call it what you like. I don't know. They're collectivists. They're saying it. they're doing it for the, the common good. So fascism, global, uh, what do you call it? Well, they're globalists, basically, aren't they? They're all following a, a Marxist sort of ideology where the common good is what's important, the majority. But that's what they say. They don't really believe that because th- their little group... That's more important. These are a group of elites that want to start a world government and they want to destroy our nation state and they're doing it all over the world. It's in unison. You've got to wake up. It's not just happening here in New Zealand. And I'm not, I'm not just one um, person here just going nutty about, about all the changes, you know, the world. I'm, 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 I am a conspiracy theorist. I actually think I, I definitely am because I'm theorizing all the time what these bastards are doing to take away our nation state. They are doing it. And when you look overseas, they're doing exactly the same thing. Exactly the same. Um, in Australia, with the voice, uh, what do they call it? They want to give the indigenous people a voice? Well, f- thank goodness, 
overwhelmingly the Australians voted against that. Thank goodness they tried to sell it to them. Abenezi is a globalist. He should be out. Get him out. He won't, he won't survive the next election. If he does, it's got to be voter fraud, folks. Has to be. But the thing that I was thinking of this morning when I just went outside for a, um, a bit of fresh air to take the old shoes and socks off and get a bit of grounding. I didn't wear socks to bed. But I don't know, so that's not quite right, Grant. You told a bit of a fib there. So I better, I better not, I better admit that I told a bit of a lie. It's a complete lie. It's not a bit of a fib. It's a complete and utter lie. I didn't have socks on. I just had these croc crocs on. I know, so <laughs> crocs, they do. They keep your feet warm. They're fantastic. Anyway, I went outside, slipped them off, and did a bit of grounding. I like to do that and get some, you know, and, and I think it does help to be grounded. Anyway, I was just thinking as I, um, uh, I put my uh, foot with the croc on it, over the top of the electric fence to go for a bit of a wander because I have an electric fence around my house at the moment, little just some wires, uh, because I've got sheep in the paddock. When the sheep are in there, they get oh they poop everywhere. Nothing worse than little marbles. Anyway, put my foot on top of the electric wire. Uh, that's you know just the it's not a wire. It's just you know it's like tape. Um, you know you know what I mean. Sort of what do you call it? Oh, I don't know. It's on a reel, right? And um, so I was just thinking as I stepped over it, you know. It's the same. We're, we're just voting for different colours. Um, we had Labour Party. They're globalists. And now, to keep the people happy, we all think that we're, we've, we're right now. We've ousted them. But the globalists don't care. They've got another group on the a blue team. We're blue here. The Democrats, you Democrats, you're red. Uh, you know, no, no, you're blue. But you're the, the communists. And the um, Republicans, they're the... Well, I guess that I don't know. <laughs> they're supposed to be the... Um, sort of democratic, what are they, sort of conservatives, aren't they, supposed to be, but they've got a few what they call rhinos in there. Anyway, here in New Zealand, we just keep changing, chopping and changing, and now we've got a new one in there, it's, its name's ACT, okay, and that's changed a lot from when Rodney Hyde was involved in it, ACT wasn't like it is now, they're globalists too. And then you've got Winston Peters, who pretends to be not a globalist, while he's trying to get your vote, the vote of the anti-vaxxers, and you know, and the freedom movement, and the what's the other one we call it? Um, liberty, yeah, truth, the truth movement, so-called truth. Just trying to get your vote. So all we're doing is we're just going from one, uh, basically just one party to the next, but they're the same, and that's and that keeps us happy that we think we've actually voted for change. Oh, we've got change. We've got we've got national in now, but nothing's going to change. We're still going to be going down that one-world government track. Nothing's going to change. Luxon is a, he is a, he's just going to do it in a different way. And it'll, it'll be worse. I'll tell you now, it'll be worse for us. And he says it's going to make it better for farmers. Maybe he might. But I don't think he will in the long term. Because it has to be. They've got to get rid of meat. They don't want us eating meat. No. They're going to pretend that it's bad for the environment. And it's not bad for us, but bad for the environment, bad for the world. And this is, this is collectivism. And we've heard Luxon saying he's a collectivist. And that's, you know, you remember I played some clips from him before the, well before the election where he was, you know, back during the uh, fake pandemic. The fake pandemic, he was saying that uh, solo mothers and beneficiaries, he was on, uh, I think he was on Radio New Zealand's morning report, uh, or it might have been the, the one after that, between 9 and 12, I think. And he said, this is Luxem, uh, and I'll play it for you just so you know I'm not making it up. Uh, he said that beneficiaries should lose their um, benefit if they don't get their children vaccinated. And he believed that. 
so basically, and then the, the interviewer questioned him and said, well, what do you mean? You're just targeting solo mothers, aren't you? Because that's, you know, pretty much what it is. And, um, you know, child support is basically solo mothers, isn't it? Most of it. And he said, no, she said, so would that mean everybody? Because yes, yes, that's right. Everybody. If you don't get your children vaccinated, we're talking childhood vaccines here. The ones that maimed pe- that maim people, the ones that give you autism, the ones that um, give you chronic disease, long-term diseases that don't sometimes don't come out for years, that slowly kill you, that make you sicker, so that you need more pharmaceutical drugs to keep you on the treadmill. And people think, oh gosh, you know, the pharmaceutical industry saved my life. It did. It kept me alive. I'll be dead by now if I didn't have me pills. What a life, what an existence, when all you have to do is just stay well away from the sorcery of pharmacia, well away from them, and just live a good, a good, healthy life. Fresh air, sunlight, you need plenty of it, don't flip and put that um, sun cream on you, that's the worst thing you can do, because you're blocking up the natural light that you need, your body needs to get vitamin D, and goodness knows, your, your skin is an organ, I mean, would you, would you, I mean, if you were able to sort of like um, open up your, you can't do this, but imagine if you, would you, would you cover your kidneys in suntan cream? No, you definitely wouldn't, would you? Why? Because you'd be worried about them, that they would, you could, could injure them. Well, your skin is an organ as well. It's the least of all organs. It's the least important of the organs as far as importance goes. That's why when you have a, something wrong in your body, when there's a dis-ease, your body's not at ease. It's not some dis-ease that comes from outside, some germ to attack you, but your cells, because of what you've been doing, because of what you've been eating, because your kids, your, your parents got their kids vaccinated, and courtesy of the government now, they've injected sort of miasms into us that make us really sick long-term. Well, uh, it presents these dis- diseases when your body's not happy, they present on the skin, and so the homeopathic physician, not as opposed to the allopathic, allopathic uh, physician, who basically is just uh, trained, uh, trained to know the names of drugs and the names of diseases, the Latin names of diseases, sometimes Greek, I think. That's what they do. They're just trained in that way. Many, many doctors, allopathic doctors, are realizing that they're making people sicker by their allopathic drugs, their pharmaceutical drugs. They're not getting any better. Some dishonest doctors, and I know some of them, they say, I think I might become a skin specialist. Oh, why is that? Well, because you just keep giving them creams. They never get any better, and they never get any worse. And they just keep coming back, and you get really rich. So those are the kinds of people that we have in medicine. They don't give a damn about you. All they care about is their overseas trips, their multiple real estate, you know, their properties, their investments, their flash cars, and they don't care. They've been trained that way. And if they if they go away from that allopathic method, they get wrapped over the knuckles by the, a, disciplinary, a disciplinary tribunal. Who would that be? The medical council, probably or the Nurses Guild, or whatever they call it, the Nurses Association. We had a nurse last week. She was wonderful. I was just thinking that nurse 
that um, got had up for misinformation by some nurses, uh, I don't know, affiliation or whatever they call themselves. Uh, she was she didn't even turn up because she thought it was nonsense. And I think I remember Liz Lambert was helping her. And, um, yeah, she's been fined. And all she was doing was warning people about the toxins, about the the uh, medical procedure that they wanted us to take against our will. And she was warning people up in Talivu or somewhere, wasn't it? Up, I think it was up where um, Jacinda Ardern's father was running the, running the show, one of those islands. Anyway, I can't remember quite now. Anyway, let me get back to this. Oh, no, well, this, this story here that I'm looking at about seatbelts, that's just a nothing, a nothing story, uh, really. Some pe- so, yes, it's terrible that people have been injured, but they've, they haven't got to the bottom. But how the heck did she fall out of a car? And she was not the driver. She was in the passenger seat. I mean, yeah, you wasn't wearing a seatbelt, but far out. You've got doors, haven't you, on your car? The car didn't look like an old thing with no doors on it. It's pretty smashed up, but I'm sure I saw some doors there. Anyway, now, what's this business on the rugby field over the weekend? A slur allegation made in heated exchange between Curry and Monabi. Is it Monabi? Is that how you say it? I think it is, isn't it? We better have a look at that. This one's, I think this is a Herald article. Ian Cameron's the writer here. Rugby pass. Now, I just think, I don't know, I'll tell you what I think in a minute. Questions are being asked over the context to a number of heated exchanges between England flanker Tom Curry and South African hooker Bongi. Oh, that wasn't how it was pronounced last time. I thought it was Mbongi. And they might just call him Bongi. Bongi Monabi. The Springboks scrapped their way into the Rugby World Cup with a ghastly 16-15 win over England to despite... Uh, despite coming in as the heavy underdogs and led the game for the past 80 minutes, did they? Off, oh, Sorry, they led the game for the best part of 80 minutes. It was a feisty affair that boiled over at times with a few... Oh no, yeah, OK, it was a feisty, blah, 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 where are we? a feisty affair that boiled over f- uh, a few times with a few all-in handbags. What does this mean? Between oh, look, I'm not going to read this one. I don't like it when they write funny like that. All-in handbags. What does that mean? Between the sides spilling out in the first half, handbags which kicked off. Handbags? Oh, no, I'm not reading that story from here. Uh, I've got it somewhere else here, actually, I think. We'll come to it. Let's go to Radio New Zealand. I'm sort of not very happy with uh, Microsoft Start. It's very difficult very difficult to manoeuvre. So we'll go to RNZ at the moment and we'll look at Media Watch. Now, media in the Middle East of Gaza claims and counterclaims. Majority media organisations all over the world are copping criticism for the way that they're reporting what's happening in Gaza. Let's look at that one. And now, this is a story by Colin Peacock. He's And I think he's quite good. And have you noticed all the photographs? There's no, you know, there's nothing of what the the Muslim terrorists did when they came in on October the sixth, seventh, into southern Israel and uh, murdered fourteen hundred people, uh, took um, over two hundred and fifty hostage, hostages. They did. They're still finding dead bodies. I have to say uh, that these people did. And also, um, um, we'll talk about the some of the drugs that they've been given as well. These these terrorists to to help them do what they did. But anyway, let's get back to the story. Um, just that when I see the photographs, it's always it's they're all doctored. Um, the the photographs of Gaza, they've toned down the colour, 
taken it right down so that it's almost black and white, except for the people walking around. So you've got a red shirt, that's that's nice and bright. So the people, are, they've got them as in bright colours, but everything else is just grey. And that's not really how it should be. There should be some colour in there, and it's not. So it's purposely done to make it look very sad. And it's all about a Palestinian man walks in front of the rubble, of destroyed buildings and mosques after an Israeli airstrike in the Gaza Strip. And, you know, you just can't actually believe a lot of these photographs because there's no real journalism in Gaza. It's all Palestinians themselves, the so-called Palestinians, the, the Hamas. They are the ones taking the photographs, and they're very good at it. If you know, um, if you know anything about Pallywood, you've heard of Hollywood and Bollywood, well, there's a Pallywood. And if you go online, look it up, it's P-A-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D, Pallywood, and it's how they're basically acting, and they do it all the time, and they up the numbers, they pretend that, you know, that they've, um, some ambulance has been shelled with a big hole in it, turns out the thing's about 20 years old, and it was done themselves or something, you know, but it's just, it's all rubbish, basically it's just theatre. And so there's a lot of that, and any journalists that are inside of Gaza Strip their lives would be in danger. Not me. I don't think there's anyone in there reporting. Anyway, and I think that that's why we're not getting the truth coming out of Gaza. And as far as Israel's concerned, well, yep, they have to be tight-lipped about what they're doing. You know, I think the um, Americans, they have been uh, sort of kept out of. You know, they want the money's coming in, of course, for the Israelis for the war effort. They have to because Israel are the first defence against Islamic terrorism for the rest of us. Are they going to go out if they once they've destroyed Israel? This is what their aim is. They won't because our Bible tells us they don't. But once they've destroyed Israel, this is what they say: they'll come after us. So it's the Jew first, and then the Christians, the people of the book. They call us. Now the major media organisations all over the world are copying criticism for the way they're reporting what happening is happening in Gaza and Israel. Media Watch asked BBC News boss Jonathan Munro how they're handling it, even when it's coming from the UK's own government. Now, uh, Palestinian health officials in Gaza say hundreds of people have been killed in an explosion at a hospital in Gaza. They're blaming an Israeli strike on the hospital. But the Israeli Defence Forces said the initial investigation shows the explosion was caused by a failed Hamas rocket. That was how Radio New Zealand News at 8 last Tuesday reported the single deadliest incident in this conflict. So far, we don't know that's even that's true. Just now, me talking now, they said there was 500 people killed. How did they know straight away that there was 500 people? Who verified that? It all came from the terrorists. They're the ones giving you the information. And they're just multiplying things. Just pick a number and multiply it. Because apparently it turns out there were several dozen, which is still a lot, but there were several dozen people killed. And it wasn't in the hospital, it was in the car park. And we've seen the images of that. The Israeli Defence Force also singled out Islamic Jihad for the atrocity. But the absence of hard evidence put the media reporting in a difficult position. It's still absolutely unclear. There are varying bits of information that are coming out for now, I don't think anybody can quite say it's most likely to have been Israel. They said it seems like it might be a misfired rocket. That was the BBC Middle East editor, Sebastian Usher, he told Radio New Zealand on Wednesday night. 
We can't say for now, but I don't think in terms of the mood in the Arab world and in the Middle East that what uh, that, uh, that, that really matters. That's right. Uh, people out of the streets are showing huge anger and they will reject any investigation, any Israeli claim to say that Israel is not responsible, as he said. Reporting those claims and counterclaims creates confusion among the audience. It's also stoked the anger of those objecting to reporters' choice of words. CNN's Clarissa Ward, for example, was criticised heavily on social media for mentioning the Israeli Defence Force claims and then expressing doubt about them at the same time. A video showing a pro-Palestinian protester calling it's actually pro-Hamas, if you ask me, um, calling Clarissa Ward a puppet has gone viral on social media. So did other falsely, ac- falsely accusing her of faking a rocket strike. Her CN, uh, colleague, CNN rather colleague, uh, Anderson Cooper, was also criticised online for referring to a huge civilian loss of life during the live report from Tel Aviv in Israel and represent, uh, repeating himself, but when then without the words civilian. Mm. Among those who, alongside expert investigators, Tried, investigators tried to sift the available evidence and cut through the information war was Alex Thompson, I think it's back to Alex Jones, correspondent for UK broadcaster Channel 4. Israel and Hamas can't tweet what they like. The truth of what happened here requires independent expert investigation. Not happening, was Alex Thompson's bleak conclusion. Any doubt is due to a fierce information war that, in tr- that truth matters little to the victims of the Gaza hospital tragedy, another British correspondent, ITV Jonathan Irvine, said on News Hub at 6 on Tuesday, at 6pm. Uh, at times, broadcasters have used the wrong words and given audiences the wrong idea. Last week, the BBC's main evening news bulletin made a rapid apology for describing pro-Palestinian protests in the UK as pro-Hamas. We accept that that was poorly phrased and was a misleading description, the presenter told viewers, just before the end of the bulletin. And earlier this month, people protested outside the BBC News headquarters in London about BBC's long-standing policy of not labelling any group as terrorists. You don't seem to be particularly interested if the BBC seems to refuse to call terrorists, even though the British Parliament has legislated them as terrorists. That is a question I haven't heard the BBC answer yet, UK Government Defence Secretary Grant Sharps. A Shaps, I should say. He told the BBC radio flagship News Now Today. Have you not seen any of the coverage of the BBC of the atrocities, the dead, the injured, the survivors, the startling presenter asked him? How can you say that we're not interested, she replied, when Shaps said he had. The BBC Deputy Chief Executive of News, Jonathan Munro, was at Sydney's South by Southwest Festival this week to talk about how the BBC delivers news from and about conflict zones. We're already, we've already seen journalists lose their lives in this country, working for organisations who are also facing the same dilemma as we are, he uh, said Munro who is also the BBC's Director of Journalism. We've got an obligation to audiences to explain what's going on, and that involves lots of people on the ground as witnesses to events, but also the analysis that comes from expert knowledge, he told Media Watch. 
expertise is just invaluable. People like Jeremy Bowen, former Middle East editor and current international editor for BBC News, and our chief international correspondent, Lise Doucette, and correspondent who are based in that region, he said. But the main story here is the catastrophic loss of life and the appalling conditions that people are living in and that the hostages are being held in, the humanity of that, he said. A lot of reporting people will see, hear and read will come from Israel. Reporting from Gaza itself is difficult and dangerous and access to Gaza at the border is restricted by Israel. We have a correspondent, because I know they'll get Vlim and killed as soon as they walk in there. Uh, we have a correspondent in Gaza, but he's moved from Gaza City to Khan Yunus in the south of the Strip, a safer position. But he can't report 24 hours a day, and he's looking after his family, which is paramount. Got to keep an eye on the time. Nine minutes to six, we'll have TNT Radio News at six, too, if I remember. So we do have, have to add that with reporting from, uh, from Israel and from London by people who know Gaza very well, he said, we have to be uh, transparent about that and tell the audience, and then the audience knows uh, that whatever it's coming, wherever it's coming from, and you still hold editorial integrity, he said. I don't know if I got that very well done. A lot of, uh, a lot of people will be seeing from Gaza, all they're seeing is amateur footage and, on, and social media content that's very difficult to verify. The BBC recently launched BBC Verify, dedicated to checking out this kind of material and vetting its use. There's a huge amount of video out there on social media we can all find at the touch of a button. The brand of BBC Verify is a signpost that the material has been checked by us using, using methods like geolocation and looking at the metadata, he said. Even then, even when verified, there are still ethical dilemmas. For example, BBC verified use of facial recognition software to anal analyse images of individuals in the Hamas surprise attacks on October the 8th. I thought it was October the 7th. Uh, it identified one gunman as a policeman from Gaza. Ooh, wow. It's a case-by-case, case, but something shouldn't go out on the BBC without us knowing it's true. There are occasions we would broadcast something and we would tell the audience that we were not able to be independently verify the claim. And we need to caveat our coverage of the reaction to it with the fact that we do not have our own verification of source material, he said. Even before the Al-Hali Hospital, that's the Baptist Hospital in the Gaza Strip catastrophe, catastrophe amplified emotions intense secured scrutiny of reporters uh, their work was adding to the stress of those reporting from the region that's right they can't say what they want to say a lot of them and so all the news we're getting is coming from the terrorists themselves and these people are skilled at reporting at propaganda absolutely they never let a um they never let, never let any opportunity go by and there was I've, i mean i've seen videos of People that were supposed to be sort of like, you know, wounded and injured and that, you know, and got, you know, fake blood all over them coming out of the building. And next thing you know, what are they? They're sort of, um, uh, oh, I don't know, so I couldn't, couldn't quite remember, but they were doing something else. The same people that was, they were sort of protesters at some rally or something, uh, you know, bef before that. I don't know. I don't know. But I saw it was obvious that they were just acting. There's so much acting. I actually wonder whether there was a lot of acting going on 
in Christchurch at the mosque. I mean, I know people were killed. Yep, there's no doubt about that. But I wonder, were there that many? Really? And then who are all these people that you've you sort of never seen before? It was almost like they imported a whole lot of actors that were going in front of the camera. Nothing, it didn't really add up. A lot of things didn't add up about Christchurch. Like, why aren't, why aren't reporters... You know, how is it that the lady that murdered her three children is able to communicate with the outside world? And um, I think she even ha- had a Facebook page set up. They had someone set it up for her. But how is it that we can't know anything about Brenton Tarrant? Is it Brenton Tarrant, the one that was su- supposedly uh, killed all those people? A lot of people are saying there was more than one gunman involved. A lot of people are saying that uh, he he's... Um, a patsy. You know, he's saying he's innocent. He's saying he was forced into um, some, some, well, I don't know where I got that information from, but this is what I'd heard, that he was forced into confessing that he did it. Now he's actually changed his claim. I think I read it somewhere online, or, you know, in the newspaper. Uh, anyway, um, five to six. Just very strange, all the things that are going on. You can't believe anything now. You know, my, as I said, my mum used to say, believe nothing of what you hear and only half of what you see. But now I don't think you can even believe what you see because the graphics are so good. They can change things around, doctor things. We've got this, you know, in the terrace, they've all, everyone's got cameras. And, you know, then they go and they've got Photoshop. They're flimmin' experts at it. And there's just this the propaganda uh, that's coming out of the Gaza Strip, which is phenomenal. I mean, look, why, why is it that we here in the West, why do we believe terrorists? What's with that? Why are we believing what they're saying and we're not believing what the own, only dem- democracy in the Middle East is saying? They're not believing Israel. Because you people that do that hate the Jews. Just be honest about it. Be honest. You say, oh, it's, no, it's not that we don't It's just Israel. What they're doing is an apartheid state. It's not an apartheid state. How could you even say that it's an apartheid state? You're just repeating bullshit that other people are telling you. How can it be? They have to put a fence up to stop Islamic Muslim terrorists from coming into their country and blowing themselves up in a Jewish cafe. They bulldozed Muslim terrorists' parents' home because they'd warned them, if you come in and blow yourself up in our cafes or wherever, bus stops and the things that, well, things that you've been doing until we got our fence up, if you do that, we'll demolish your parents' home. And that's the only way. They don't say, they can say, oh, we'll shoot you. They don't care. They get their 72 virgin. They don't mind. But they do care about their parents. And that was a very clever way. The Israelis are smart. Why? Because they're Jews. And Jews have got a higher, a higher IQ than we have. That's well known. Ashkenazi Jews, I don't know. Is that, what's that? Is that, I don't, who, is that a derogatory term? I've never heard it until... The only time I hear the word Ashkenazi Jew is when I hear it from people that hate the Jews. I think they're responsible for all the woes of the world. They're just smart people. They've got a higher IQ than you have, you dummy. You know, people that are, hate the Jews, they're actually really thick. I've, I've found when, I get, when you get close to them, they're actually not very bright. You know, they just, they just go along with the crowd, the majority. So we've got democracy. This is what democracy is. This is democracy in action. When you've got the majority of people hating Israel, that's democracy. That's how it works. It's the majority rule. And I tell you what, the Jews are in trouble right now in the West, in major trouble. There's going to be 
some bloodshed. We've got all these immigrant Muslims, battle-aged young men that have come into our country, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, all through the U- Europe and the UK. And there is a time bomb waiting to happen. And we're seeing it, aren't we, with protests. Pro-Hamas they are. That's what they are. 80% of the people that are living in Palestine, so-called, uh, the Gaza Strip, 80% of them support Hamas. In fact, you could, I reckon you could just about safely say that probably 99.9% of Arabs all over the Western world, in fact, all over the world, they support the jihadis. They're not going to be honest with you and say that to your face. They're deceptive. They support them. They're behind them. They hate Israel because they believe it's their land because that's what they were taught. Little children in Gaza Elementary School are taught to hate the Jews. In the textbooks, we heard that from Noni Darwish. I've mentioned that last week on the program. They're taught to hate them. That's why there's so much hatred. Now, news is coming up. It's right on us. So we, I will uh, be back in a minute after the TNT Radio News. Uh, so, yep. So don't, don't go away, folks. I hope I can do this. Let me see. I've just got to. I've been yapping away there and I'm a bit disorganised. So we'll be back in a minute with um, TNT Radio News. Simply go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. Recapping some of the news that shaped the past week, I'm Matt Boyland. The U.S. state of Arkansas became the first in the country to force China to give up its American land. The state on Tuesday ordered a Chinese seed-producing company to sell its U.S. farmland and banned all contracts with Chinese entities. The company owns approximately 160 acres of land in Arkansas's northeast, which is used primarily for seed research. I'm announcing that Syngenta, a Chinese state-owned agrochemical company, must give up its land holdings in Arkansas. If they refuse to sell, our Attorney General can move forward with legal proceedings and force them to get out of our state. Arkansas's governor said Syngenta's parent company is on the U.S. Defense Department's list of Chinese military firms that pose a threat to America's national security. Seeds are technology. Chinese state-owned corporations filter that technology back to their homeland, stealing American research and telling our enemies how to target American farms. That is a clear threat to our national security and to our great farmers. This isn't about where you're from. This is about where your loyalties lie. We simply cannot trust those who pledge allegiance to a hostile foreign power. That's why I signed Act 525 to ban Chinese and Russian-made drones. And it's why I signed Act 758, banning public contracts with the CCP. Also making news this week, Australia's federal government rejected calls for a royal commission inquiry into the sexual abuse of Indigenous children. The proposal was put forward by the country's shadow minister for Indigenous Australians. She led the no campaign to victory in last weekend's referendum to establish an Indigenous voice to Parliament and said the people of Australia want real solutions, not more of the same. We need action for those children in remote 
communities are most marginalised, suffering sexual abuse, neglect and other abuse. But the Labor Party teamed up with the Greens to kill the plan in the Senate this week. The United Nations warned this week food, water, fuel and medical supplies are about to run out in Gaza. It sent critical supplies to Egypt near the crossing to the Gaza Strip, but says a ceasefire is needed to ensure the life-saving aid can be delivered safely. And US President Joe Biden failed to calm fears of a wider war in the Middle East this week. The President visiting Israel on Wednesday, where instead of calling for calm, he pledged to start arming Tel Aviv against Hamas. The President also backed Israel's narrative of events relating to this week's apparent hospital bombing in Gaza. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. Here to share his thoughts on the president's visit is TNT's Patrick Henningsen. The only question we can really ask at this point is whose idea was it to send Joe Biden to Israel? The press conference was a disaster. You're wondering if Joe would have fallen asleep during the press conference. He seemed to kind of lose his mind at one point, started going on a diatribe and then forgot what he was going to say and says, oh, maybe we'll talk about that later. I forgot where I was. And meanwhile, this humanitarian disaster is raging in the Gaza Strip. War crimes being committed by the IDF, a hospital has been blown up, 500 people dead, patients and doctors, other hospitals have been hit by the Israeli defense forces. So what is Joe Biden going over there to do exactly? Endorse Bibi Netanyahu, say keep the war effort going, or is he going to be there maybe to call for peace or maybe a ceasefire? But still, we haven't seen that happen. So what is this but an election cycle photo op for the president? It can only go horribly wrong at this point. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen. Okay, good morning. Just gone five past six here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with your host, me, Grant, the Grunter. Uh, we'll do the weather next. Hear about it. I don't understand the American people. Talk about it. I shouldn't have to just swallow what you're giving me. On today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Alrighty, let's look at the weather then and the extreme, still Manukau, Auckland 13.9 degrees, a little bit warmer there, the lowest place now is Tianau so Omarima, you've uh, you've lost now, you're coming second place, it's minus 0.9 degrees in Tianau Mahi is the windiest, not terribly windy though, that is over near uh, Wairua, Mahia there is uh, 26, you've got 26 kilometres per hour blowing through there, Auckland is the wettest now, where was it before? It was Chatham's, they had about 0.3 millimetres or roughly something like that, 0.6 Six millimetres in Manukau City there in Auckland. Okay. Goodness. Now let's look at those uh, temperatures uh, right across the main centre. Stewart Island, 7 degrees. Invercargill, 3. Dunedin, 6. Uh, the Chatham Islands has 7 degrees at the moment. Queenstown, 2. France Joseph has 10 degrees. Christchurch, 4. Blenheim, 5. West Coast, over there at Westport, they've got 12 degrees along with Nelson. In the North Island, Wellington has 7 degrees, mastered and a dip down a little bit as the sun starts to look like it's going to come up over the horizon. 6 degrees for you. Napier has 10 degrees, Palmerston North 9, New Plymouth on 10, Tapo and Rotorua now both on 5 degrees. Gisborne has uh, 11 degrees along with Tauranga and Hamilton. And Auckland's on 14 degrees, 13.9 to be precise. And Whangarang has 13 and Kaitaia 
is on 10. The short forecast for Northland, Auckland and Coromandel Peninsula, mainly cloudy periods with isolated showers clearing in Coromandel and Auckland this afternoon. For Waikato, the Bay of Plenty and the central high country, mainly fine weather but cloudy periods returning from late afternoon and evening with isolated light showers developing. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, you've got cloudy and isolated showers developing to fine throughout the morning. Waitomo and Taranaki to Wellington, also Wairarapa. Fine weather, apart from areas of morning and evening cloud. For Nelson, Buller and Westland, cloudy periods with isolated showers clearing this afternoon. Marlborough, Canterbury, Otago and Southland, mainly fine weather for you kind folks, apart from areas of morning cloud in the east, cloud increasing again in the south this evening. For Yordland, becoming cloudy this morning with isolated showers developing and then turning to rain overnight. And finally for the Chatham Islands, cloudy periods with the odd light shower. Should we look at the extended forecast? Should we do that? I don't know. I don't want to take you all the way to Friday. We'll just go to Wednesday. How about that? Wednesday, tomorrow for the North Island, a few showers developing for most. Turning to rain about Taranaki, Kapiti Coast and Wellington this evening. In the South Island tomorrow, rain with some heavy falls developing in the west and north, easing in Fjordland later. Scattered rain developing elsewhere, but dry from Christchurch to Kaikoura coast. And on Wednesday for the North Island, rain easing to showers, isolated of showers, and clearing in the east later. For the South Island on Wednesday, showers in the west are turning to heavy rain in Fjordland late and mainly fine elsewhere. So there we are, that's the uh, short forecast and the temperatures across the main centres. It is 8 minutes past 5 and you're listening to Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. This is Perino on politics from Fox News. Have a listen to this. I actually didn't think it was strong. I prepared all day to love this speech. I prepared to want to stand up and cheer. And at times I felt like we were reading a speech whose pages had been mixed up out of order. I thought that he didn't spend enough time talking about the atrocities of October 7th. Uh, he, he does obviously have a, a, a definite, deep understanding of the pain, and he is definitely against anti-Semitism, both abroad and at home. But he, he rushed that part of the speech so much, and the next thing I know, we're talking about Ukraine, and then we're kind of back to Israel, but then, wait, wait are you going to bring it up Taiwan as well? I thought there was going to be something on the southern border. I did not think it was as strong as it could have been, and I wanted it to be strong. That's Perino. She's talking about Biden, President of U.S. President Joe Biden's speech uh, supporting Israel. That's what she was saying. Here's Brian Shelton with uh, Dan Abrams. This is uh, News Nation. Have a listen to this and see what you think. This is about the hospital bombing. You know, sometimes, Dan, you're out there criticizing the media, and I want to defend the media, but there is no defense here. This was an atrocious uh, series of mistakes by many different major newsrooms all around the same time on Tuesday. And unfortunately, I don't think there's been enough follow-up or accountability to make sure it doesn't happen again. I've noticed oftentimes in breaking news stories, breaking news scenarios, when information is lowest, interest is highest. And by the time we actually know the facts, people move on. Well, this was one of those cases, but it was even worse because when the stakes are highest, it seems the standards were the lowest and it should be the opposite. The standards should be the highest when the stakes are as high as they are right now. What are you most concerned about in terms of the media coverage that, that we've seen so far? I don't know why this was called a strike right away. Why not an apparent explosion? I don't know why reporters went with those huge reports of, death, of, of deaths, hundreds of alleged deaths, when it had only been 30 or 60 minutes since the explosion. Common sense would indicate 
that we didn't know yet how many people might have died. Exactly. But because people out there hate Israel, hate the Jews, you hate Jews and Christians. That's what it is. That's what it's about. It's anti-Semitism. And now, l- listen, when people, people say, oh, but the Arabs, they're Semites as well. They all, they all came, they're all the sons of Shem. That's true. But to be, to use, today it's referred to because um, idiom dictates grammar. And today the word anti-Semitism is referring to the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not Abraham and Ishmael. A lot of people don't realize that they're half-brothers, the Arabs and the Jews, what it's all about. You know, and there was no Palestinians back in the 1920s and 40s, all in there. Before, before Israel became a state, there were no Palestinians whatsoever. They're just Jews and Arabs. And that's the truth of it. This Palestinian nonsense is just made up. It's a made-up word. So is Pal- Philist- um, not Philistine. Palestine, made up by the Romans to get rid of the name of Israel. These are all enemies of the creator of heaven and earth. They're enemies of God. And that's why they do that. Why? Because God made a promise with Abraham. He made a promise that he'd give them all of that land. That's why Gaza, that's why the ground forces need to go into Gaza. They need to go in. They're very good. They're very good, honestly. They are the most humane. Um, they care more about the rights of civilians than any other army in world history. And we know that from Richard Kemp, Colonel Richard Kemp, who was in the expeditionary forces. He was the commander of the ex- expeditionary forces in Afghanistan. And he's watched, he's worked closely with the Israeli army. He's so impressed. Even the British Army, well, they certainly wouldn't be uh, care uh, very much for the, well, not as much as the Israelis do. You get the odd bad apple, but they get punished for that. Israel is, is um, they uh, just, you know, the United Nations hates them. Why is, it, why is that? Because it's demonic. The hatred of Israel is demon-possessed. That's what's behind it. Demons are behind it. Devils. It's like a doctrine of devils to hate Israel. And they hate, deep down, many people hate Christians too. They hate you. They hate you, especially if you're speaking the truth, especially if you're, um, you know, doing what you're told to do. Jesus said to go forth and make new disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's your job. That's the commandment. That's what we're all to be doing, all of us, in some way, to be always ready to give an answer to the hope that's within us. That's the job. And it's getting very, very close to the Lord's return. And I know your eyes glaze over, don't you? Those, <laughs> your eyes glaze over, oh, talking about Jesus' return. He's coming back. When the Bible says something, it always comes true. Always. Everything. After Titus sacked Jerusalem in AD 70, prophesied by Jesus 40 years earlier, he said not one stone would be left unturned on that temple. They're pointing to the temp- temple showing the disciples. Not one stone would be left unturned. There was gold in those temples, in that temple. Solomon's temple, full of gold, lots of gold, went all over the world. Some people say that his mines were in Peru. He sent out sailing ships with the king of Assyria, had a sort of like a, a, a cooperation with him. 1,000 ships at a time on three-year voyages. That's not a trip round the med. That's a world 
trip, they were ancient mariners. They sailed all over the world, all over the earth. They would have been in New Zealand. They would have been in Australia, all through the islands, South America. They were round-the-world voyages at the time of King Solomon, three-year voyages. Yeah. Now, 17 minutes past six, and I've completely forgotten what I was talking about. I got carried away. We're supposed to, yeah, we're supposed to tell people the gospel. Anti-Semitism. People hate the Jews. They hate them. They don't even know why they hate them. And they say, oh, yeah, they're behind them running the banking system. Well, they're involved in money. They weren't allowed to have a business. So they went and they did money lending and that type of thing. They, look, in New Zealand, the Jews have done more for our country than any other nationality that's come to our shores. Smith and Coe in Queen Street, Auckland. Levines. Think of all the... There is, I can't even think of them, but they have done so much for our country. They are a blessing to the whole earth, and yet they're despised. Why? Because they're smart, because they've got a higher IQ than we have, and they make more money than we do. And there's, I think there's some spiritual aspect to it as well. There's a hatred. Anti-Semitism has a spirit behind it. It's wicked. It's evil. And you, you people, you don't realize, you've got Billy Tikaheka. Now, he's supposed to be a Christian. He's a Seventh-day Adventist. He says he's not. I don't know what he is. He says he's not. He said, but he follows the, the writings of Ellen G. White. He says she's pretty good. She's a plagiarist and a false prophetess. The Bible, they're not supposed to be women teaching in the churches. That's what the Bible says. Don't get angry at me. I didn't write it. Women aren't supposed to be speaking in the church. They're not supposed to be teaching men, usurping a man's authority. Not supposed to be doing it. There's an order. God has an order of how things are done. Doesn't mean that they're any less than we are. Just means that they've got a different role. But of course the devil hates that and wants to change it. And that's why he's invented the feminist movement, which is in the churches. Women. Short, short, short here. It's supposed to be your crown and glory. All head shorn. The only people that had shorn heads in the, um, you know, like Sinead O'Connor. She's now in a long home. She knows the truth now. The only people that had short hair were prostitutes. People that had been caught in adultery. Women that had been caught in adultery. This is the way it was in Bible times. God wants you to have women. He wants you to have long flowing hair. Because it's for the angels. I don't know why. I don't know. Something to do with the angels. They're looking on. They're listening to every conversation. They're watching us. One of them said once to God, What is man? What is it that you love him so much? What's the, what's the deal? Because they're not like us. They can't intervene. They just look on. The Bible says we can be entertaining angels in disguise. Strangers. 20 past 6. Why do people hate the Jews? They say, oh, we don't hate the Jews. 
We just don't know what Israel's doing. Well, the Israeli government are not the Israelis. Another thing you forget, there's Arabs in the Israeli Defence Force. Why? Well, because they believe that Israel is a... that it's full of good people that want peace in the Middle East. I'm very different. I'm a Zionist. I believe that land, all of Gaza Strip belongs to Israel. All of it. There's 12 tribes from the, their descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, later name change to Israel. God promised them all that land from almost southern, southern Russia, right up there, way up there. All of the land, all the way down to just about North Africa. That's where it's going to be when Jesus Christ returns and sits on the throne in the temple that he's going to set up when he returns any day now coming to a town near you every eye shall see him the Bible says when he returns and when he puts his foot back on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem that's where he's going every eye will see that happen and it's not long not far away imminently when the Bible says something always comes true now, why is it the Bible says there's going to be this massive uh, mobilization of forces from all over the world and they they come to Israel? You can see that why it's going to happen now, can't you? People are protesting all over the world against Israel, for Israel, against Hamas, for Israel. It's divided people. Everyone's forgotten about COVID. And now, because these terrorists were allowed to attack and massacre not just not just kill a few people and take them take people prisoner massacre killing innocent women and children in their beds gutting them cutting off heads cutting off limbs the media has forgotten about this this is what these people did now, while I think of it, there was a story here that I've I had. Oh, let's see if I've still got it. Um, it's about what these people were taking. I don't know if it's true. It came out of the Jerusalem Post. And I was just having a look at it earlier. And apparently there's a drug that Hamas terrorists, they took to keep them and help them slaughter the Israelis. The drug is called... Captican. Captican pills. They were found in the pockets of Hamas terrorists. So the, these Hamas terrorists who carried out a surprise attack on October 17th were found to be under the influence of Captican, a synthetic methamphetamine type stimulant that has been clandestinely produced in southern Europe and trafficked through Turkey to the consumer markets on the Arabian Peninsula. That was reported by Nur Dovri, Dovri, I should say, of Channel 12. The pills were discovered in the pockets of many tourists, ter- ter- tourists, terrorists, who lost their lives on Israeli soil. The stimulant drug, also known as cocaine for the poor, allowed the terrorists to commit heinous acts with a sense of calmness and indifference. Simultaneously, it kept them highly alert for extended periods and suppressed their appetite.
captigan used by ISIS. Captigan gained notoriety in 2015 when it was discovered by, by apparently used by ISIS fighters to suppress their fear prior to carrying out terrorist operations. As the influence of terrorist organisations like ISIS diminished, Lebanon and Syria took the reins and began producing and distributing the drug on a large scale. So they say. Gaza in particular became a popular market for the drug, especially among addicted young individuals. Captican belongs to the methamphetamine family and was initially developed to address attention disorders, narcolepsy and depression. Narcolepsy, oh gosh, is that right? Narcolepsy, it looks like. Uh, despite its highly addictive nature and potential for inducing hypnotic reactions, it continues to be enjoyed uh, in the Middle East due to its affordability and ease of manufacturing. In poorer countries, the drug can be purchased for a dollar or two, while in wealthier nations, it may cost up to $20 per tablet. Its primarily uh, effects include arousing feelings of euphoria, reducing the need for sleep, suppressing appetite, and providing sustained energy. According to medical professionals in Lebanon and Syria, Capticon not only prevents, uh, uh, is not only pre- rather preventative, oh goodness, is, it's not only prevalent among fighters, but is also frequently used by desperate civilians residing in conflict zones. So they keep their cool. There's a photograph here of all these pills that they've intercepted. And uh, who was, I'm just trying to look at the, uh, some sort of a guard, um, guardia of, can't really make it out, their hands and arms are in the way, but there's a whole pile of pills. Looks like, you know, like a thousand litre drum full of them. Uh, once a source of revenue for ISIS members through drug smuggling, Capticon was also, it became a major source of income for Syria and is actively supported by Hezbollah. Uh, around two years ago, an investigation conducted by the New York Times revealed that individuals associated with Syrian dictator Bashar Assad, including, now I have to be careful about this, I actually, I actually have, I'm not so sure that all the propaganda that's going on about uh, Syrian, as they call them a di- dictator, Bashar, him and his wife both, edu- both educated, the doctors, both educated in, um, in London. Uh, but anyway, this is what they're saying. Uh, including his family members, had established a thriving industry for the production of captican. The industry, which involves the particular uh, the preparation rather of his, oh, hang on, I'm sorry. Uh, the industry which involves the participation of Hezbollah is overseen by Assad's brother, apparently, and serves as a prosperous enterprise amidst the ruins of the ongoing civil war that has plagued Syria for over a decade. The profits generated from the drug trade in Syria exceed those gained from legitimate exports. I doubt that very much. I doubt that. I mean, they've got oil and gas. I just, I don't, I don't believe that. There's a lot of propaganda. You know, it's hard to know what's truth and what isn't. It's getting worse and worse, folks. You just can't jump to, jump to the conclusions. But, you know, before I go on with the story, one thing I do know is that when the Bible says something, it always comes true. 
And the reason why I'm with Israel, even though they might have some corrupt leaders at the moment, I'm with the nation, Israel. I'm with the Jews. Why? Because they are, they are prophesied in the Bible that the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all of those descendants, the Jewish people that were scattered after Titus sacked uh, Jerusalem, and the Jews were scattered right throughout the whole world. And then the Bible tells us in many different places that God will, will put hooks in their nose, figuratively, and draw them back into the land which he promised their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised them the land from, you know, almost almost up towards Russia, all the way down to just about North Africa, from the river Euphrates to the sea. That's what the Arabs they say, they chant this, because they believe that that real estate transaction, that promise of that land is for them, Abraham and Ishmael. Because the Roman Catholic Church have introduced a new book called the Quran. They wrote it. They've int- they started Islam. You want to know more about that? Get the if, if, if you don't like reading a lot, just go and get the comics Alberto series. It's called The Prophet, a comic book. You can read that. There's a lot of good information in that comic done by Jack Chick, and you can buy that at Chick, C-H-I-C-K, chicklikechicken.com. We've got a representative here in Wellington who can send you some Chick tracks. You can get yourself educated. If you don't like reading, and there's nothing much out there, the Roman Catholic Church started Islam to kill all the Jews and kill the Christians, the Bible-believing ones. Roman Cat- Rome had people burnt at the stake of the 16th century in London, on the streets of Oxford, all over, the, all over England. Why? For having a portion of scripture in their possession. For not believing that the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, that's transforming, transubstance, the substance of that little wafer god, which is a pagan symbol, a little round pagan symbol, they call it the bread and the wine, but it's not the bread and the wine. It's a wafer. I just thought of Roman Atkinson's. That's just the way the wafer crumbles. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that, they, they believe that can be trans... What do you call it? Um, transubstantiation. So it's magically is translated into the real body of Christ. What, what an abomination that is. When the Bible clearly says that God that Jesus Christ entered into the temple. He laid down his life once for all. He died on that cross once and for all. He took all of our sins in his body, if we believe. If we don't believe, he didn't die for you. It's all about faith. But the Roman Catholics, they burnt people at the stake for not believing that, that the wafer was turned into the real body of Jesus their way for God and they kept sacrificing him over and over again and the Bible clearly says we're not to do that no priest can going into the temple can um, can take away the sins by repeat, repeated sacrifices over and over again that was what the, the Jews did they thought they could do it and then the drink which only the priest drinks the old piss head <laughs> it's a Bible word don't get angry with me piss kill all those that pisseth up against the wall look it up it's in there you need a King James probably they don't use proper Bible words in the new versions, do they? But so this priest, he can he can magically trans 
we, we, what it's called the Eucharist, isn't it? Is that what they call it? I think it is. He can magically translate the wine into the real body of Jesus. But it's not the Jesus of the Roman Catholics. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. They're actually, their Jesus is Tammuz, a Babylonian uh, worshipped. He was uh, the son of Nimrod, gored by a bull. It's the same old story. The devil knows the Bible. He knows the stories. God wrote the stories in the stars. There's a book by E.W. Bullinger. Look it up. E.W. Bullinger. It's got the mystery in the stars, something like that, the title is. Well before the Bible was even written, God had put the whole in in the constellations. He'd put everything there for us. Those wise men that came to uh, Bethlehem, they were following a star, weren't they? So obviously they had knowledge that we don't have now. It's forgotten knowledge. But we've got a Bible now, haven't we? So everything we need to know is written in there. So there's no good asking other people what the Bible says. You've got to read it for yourself. No good listening to me. I could be talking a load of nonsense. A lot of you do think I'm talking nonsense. Listen, folks, the Bible says that in the last days that there's going to be an Antichrist and he's going to be a one-world government leader. We're just about there. We're almost there. He's about ready to enter the world stage. He's on stage He's behind the curtains. He's about to come out and be introduced. And he's going to cause each and every one of you that aren't Christians to receive a mark in your right hand, not on, in. King James Bible says in. And I believe that book is perfect at the word level. In your right hand or in your forehead. That's what he's going to do. They've got the capabilities. I don't know what it's going to be. Could be a chip. Don't know could be some kind of a scan don't know but the bible in, in revelations chapter 13 you can read it for yourself 13 i think it is 13 that he causeth all small and great rich and poor free and bond to receive i think i haven't quite got that right but to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead this is not sunday worship this is you can't buy or sell without it. We are heading for that now. They're going to take away our cash. They're going to have a digital currency. You'll lose your credit cards. So they say, "Well, how can we fix that?" Well, we'll we'll put it on you. We'll put it on them. We'll mark them. Devil wants you marked. And this is what this antichrist is going to do. He's going to cause everyone to have this, and everyone that has it, they receive noisome sores. Because obviously there's something else. It's not just a chip under the skin. It's, it's some, maybe it's some kind of a vaccine. I don't know. They've got the capabilities. They can do this now. They're just waiting for the right time. They're waiting for this world leader to arise on the scene. And he's going to unite them. All these people like Christopher Luxon, Chris Hipkins, you know, Albanese. Who have we got up there in the north? Uh, in um, Canada. Um, Trudeau. What is it? Um, oh, names on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> all of these people, they're all globalists. They're all setting it up for the Antichrist. The Bible refers to him as the beast, the man of son of perdition. It's going to be Satan himself possesses a man. 
So we're actually going to have Satan himself, the devil himself, in human form on earth ruling you. Not me. Not me. I will go to my death. I won't be ruled by Satan. And he's going to come as a man of peace. He'll be a handsome, this is what I think, he'll be a handsome, homosexual Jew that's an atheistic Jew, a non-believer, like John Key is, who said that everyone needs to be, get their vaccine or they shouldn't be allowed to do anything. You know, National, if they'd handled this over the last three years, they would have been worse worse than the communists the fascists who are in power now Luxon he's a globalist fascism he believes in fascism he said for the collective I'm going to find it I'm going to find it right now so that, so apparently apparently we'll, we'll get back to the pills in a minute but apparently the fighters there's some evidence that they had all these pills in their pocket is that true? I don't know this came out of the Jerusalem Post it might be true might not be who do you believe? who knows? Who knows? I I don't think they need pills to do what they do. They hate the Jews so much, they'll do it. There's um, there's reports. I don't know how these reports get out, but there's reports that they're just treating the um, prisoners like worse than animals are treated. They're real cruel, torturing to these people. Israel needs to go in. To make an omelette, eggs need to be broken. Israel needs to control the Gaza Strip. That's the only way. How can you go in and just take out... How can you just get rid of a terrorist organisation when 80 or 90% of the people living there support the terrorists? They all need to go back to where they came from. They're Arabs. Go to an Arab country that speak your language. Go to Egypt. Most of you are Egyptian anyway. The father of the Arab nation was an Egyptian Jew. Hagar is his mother. Abraham was his father. All the Arabs come from Abraham and Hagar, who was banished from Abraham's family because the boy hated his half-brother. Isaac hated him. And there was problems between the women, as you do <laughs> when you when you go when you're having the when it's a polygynistic. I mean, it's, it must be pretty hard. I mean, a lot of the men had multiple wives. Every almost all of the Old Testament people that we are mentioned in Scripture had multiple wives. That's something we don't like talking about, but it's true. It's true they had multiple wives in the New Testament. The only multiple there's no multiple wives for bishops and deacons. But as far as the Bible is concerned, there is nothing against men having multiple wives. Women cannot have multiple husbands. Why? Because Jesus said that a woman is bound. Doesn't say a man is bound to his wife so long as she liveth. Doesn't say that. Read the thing. Believe the words that are on the page. The words on the page say a man is bound to her husband as long as she liveth? No, it doesn't. But people like to read it that way. It says, Jesus said, a woman is bound to her husband so long as he liveth. Now, the husband of one wife, you know what that, that I was taught that meant? That means that you're not allowed to have been someone that's been divorced. 
if you've divor- if you're a man and you've divorced your wife or she's divorced or she's left or whatever, that means you can now no longer be uh, a bishop or a deacon. In other words, you know, in ministry, can't do it. Looking after the church, it's out. That's nonsense. That's a nonsense. It's not what it means. The husband of one wife. They're trying to cover up the fact that men had more than one wife in those days. Multiple wives. I mean, you could argue we we should all be in the in the ministry. All of us Christians should be, you know, preaching and teaching and sharing the good news. That's what gospel means. It's good news. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again three days later, according to Scripture. We don't have to work our way to heaven on the instalment plan as the Roman Catholics do. We don't have to do that. It's been paid for. Our sins have been paid for with the death of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross. That's why he's called a Saviour. He saved us from our sins, the Bible says. All we've got to do is repent, (laughs) change our mind. And accept, believe that he did that. Believe that he did that for us by faith. That's what being a Christian is about. It's about living by faith. The just shall live by faith. That's the Bible. Anyway, it's 20 minutes to 7. We'll have more news at 7. And I'm really struggling here, aren't I? Really struggling. We'll... Um, I wanted to, uh, we were talking about John Key earlier on and also Christopher Luxon. Now, he, there is a, I'm just going to find it for you as I chat. Um, it was um, Chris Luxon. Where are we? Yes. Now, have a listen to this and tell me what you think. Just have a listen very carefully. You, the, the key words are collectivism, for the collective. He mentioned it twice. The reporter for Radio New Zealand missed it. But he's saying here that he's going to cut benefits. Have a listen to this clip. Do you support cutting benefits to solar parents who don't vaccinate their children? Yes, I do. Why? Um, Because it's about a notion of rights and responsibilities. If you want to be part of New Zealand and civil society, you have certain inalienable rights, but you also have responsibilities to actually for the collective. Did did you hear that? For For the collective? To actually for the collective and listen carefully. Abilities to actually for the collective and, and helping the collective. Now he mentions it again. Listen, New Zealand. Why just target solo parents and probably solo mums? Really, if we're talking about it, should that it's be extended? Should it should it be extended to cutting working for families benefits? It, it, yeah, it should. Yeah, it should. <laughs> he is a fascist. He's a communist. He's a collectivist. They all were. All of the tyrants from right through history were collectivists. Now, what does that mean? Majority rule, that's what it means. A lynch mob, according to Edward G. Edward Griffin, a lynch mob is the majority, and the guy at the end of the rope is the, is the individual. So they... <laughs> Their rights trump him. That's what collectivism means. And so these people will have you force you to go against the Bill of Rights, our New Zealand Bill of Rights, which says you can't have any medical treatment forced upon you or any experimentation. 
the jab was an experimental biological agent and it, it went against the Bill of Rights. They rode roughshod over it, the majority. That's collectivism. How can this happen in a so-called democracy? What, you know what democracy? Democracy is a really bad, evil thing because it's majority rule, like we were just saying. You don't want a democracy. We need a republic. Why do we need a republic? Because it has a written constitution which stops the majority from targeting individuals for riding roughshod over individual rights and freedoms. You can't have... They make the word... Even Jacinda said, oh, democratic democracy. She's a, she's a communist. And she believes in democracy. Of course she believes in majority rule. And majority rule is demonic. Democracy is demonic. Unless, it's, unless it has a, a constitution. So you can all agree and say, yes, we agree on that, but ah, we can't do that. So that one lady said, a Chinese lady, she said, um, if the majority said we want to eat you for lunch, they could do that if they didn't have a piece of paper called a um, constitution to stop you from eating people for lunch. If the majority of people in 2050, the year 2050, and the year of our Lord, if he tarries, is 2050, are Muslims, because they breed more than us, they have something like eight babies per family with their five wives. We don't. We're lucky if we have two kids. In parts of Europe, it's under two. I think Italy, 1.6. They can't sustain that. So they're going to be a Muslim state in no time at all. Because Islam has completely overrun Europe. So here in New Zealand, if the majority said that we want, it won't be long, it's going to happen. You can see it happening. Come on, guys, can't you see it happening? Soon, we're going to, it's going to be like the UK. They've got Sharia courts. They've got Sharia police. There's places where you just can't go. The police don't go there because it's under Sharia rule. England has fallen. It's finished. You know, I believe that England has fallen. Because in 1881, they jettisoned the King James Bible. You think, oh, do you know that that book was on every ship that sailed the seven seas? Every ship. King James Bible. For hundreds of years, there was a King James Bible and a Fox's Book of Martyrs chained to the lectern on every Anglican church and every Church of England church building, because it's not a church, the church is the people. It's a church building. Right throughout the United Kingdom. Not anymore. They've allowed corrupt Bible versions to come into the church. And God's jettisoned the United Kingdom. She's no longer the great empire. The greatest empire of all. Even greater than the Roman Empire was the British Empire. And now she's finished because she's jettisoned the God of the Bible. And jettisoned that book. That book that God has given us in 1611 in English as we know it today. Prior to that, it's not English as we know it today. You say, well, it's not the same. Well, just look at an old Bible, the dedicatory in the beginning. There's no these or thous in it. 
And the reason why people in the UK up in the north there, they speak with the Ulvain, is because they want to emulate biblical language. It's perfect at the word level. There are no provable errors or contradictions. Now, I never bet money, I never bet more than than I've got. So I will bet you, what have I got in the bank? I'll bet you (laughs) $100,000 that you will not be able to find with me, debate me, a provable error or contradiction in my Protestant text, the text of the 1611 Protestant text, which is the same as what we've got today. Hasn't changed. There was a committee back in the 1850s, I think it was. They said, when, I think that's when they had the autograph of the, the autograph, meaning the original of the 1611. Now it's gone, lost in perpetuity. Don't know where it is. I think God did it on purpose because He never promised to re- preserve the manuscripts. He never promised to preserve the language. He promised to preserve the words. He said, I'll preserve my words. Heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said, but my words plural, shall not pass away. In Deuteronomy 4.2, I think it is, it says we're not to change one ought. We don't change it. There's been a lot of people changing the Bible, taking away words. Who likes to come and take away the words of God? Who does that? Who makes you doubt the, the, the Bible? Who makes you doubt what God has said? Satan does. Did it to Eve in the garden. That was the first time she said, oh, no. You'll be right. You can have a nip. Have a little nibble on that. You'll be right, love. No, he's right. Did God say that? Did he? No. No, you'll be right. Trust me. (laughs) Would you trust the snake? And she ate that flippin' thing. She was deceived. Adam sinned. Adam believed her. He willingly sinned against God. He wasn't deceived. He knew that God knew. The devil knew that Satan... Sorry, the, the, yes, same thing. The devil knew that he wouldn't be able to convince, he wouldn't be able to deceive Adam, so he went to the wife and he deceived her. And then she did it. He did it rather because he didn't want to lose her because he knew something was different about her. She probably went pink. I don't know. Their blood was pure. If they had blood, I don't know. Maybe it was light. I don't know. They would live. They were living forever. They were, because there was no sin in them. They were never going to die. And as soon as they disobeyed God, what was that? The Bible says, "Wages of sin, death." So they started dying, and he could see she was dying. And I guess he wanted to go with her. So he ate. He took an ate. And then they hid themselves straight away. They realized, oh, far out. You're naked. Oh, look at you. Put some clothes on. Cover up. Find a leaf. And they covered up and they hid from God. They hid. He knew what they'd done. He knows everything. When a little birdie falls to the ground, a little sparrow, he knows. Imagine that. He knows the number of the hairs that are on your head. This is our creator who created all things. So the Bible says, I believe it. Why do I believe it? Because it possesses certain elements to convince thinking people, never mind the lunatics, never mind most Christians who don't believe the words on the page anyway, 
it possesses the necessary elements of a divine revelation from the Creator. What are they? Well, it's got to be available, doesn't it? If God's, if any book claiming to be the words of God, a divine revelation, it has to be made available to us, doesn't it? Why would you hide it? You love your children, don't you? Of course you do. You're not going to just leave them in the corner, are you? And not talk to them? So isn't it reasonable that we were created that way? That when we have children, we want to nurture them and talk to them, communicate with them. Isn't it reasonable that God would want to do that with us? Why did? Why is that in us? I mean, first of all, you've got to get over the evolution nonsense that you came from nothing. But that's one of the elements, that it has to be available to us. A divine revelation can't be hidden from us. It's got to be available. Whether you have to learn a language to, to get to the truth of it, then maybe that's the case. If you... 2,000 years ago we had to or even less we had to know Hebrew uh, if you would I think I think it was that it was in Hebrew don't know if it was first written in Hebrew it might have been hieroglyphics jo- uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible he was brought up in Pharaoh's household do you think he was reading Hebrew and no I don't think so I mean who knows what language some sort of Egyptian language may have been the autographs of the Old Testament. We don't know. There's no evidential foundation, according to some, uh, some pretty skilled scholars in textual criticism. We don't know. Anyway, now I've lost my train of thought again. Okay, I've, look, I've got a lot to get through, and I, I keep going off on these tangents, don't I? So we heard from Steve. Did we hear from him? No, we didn't. That's all right. We'll look at that in a minute. I better, um, better pay more wages here. Let's see. What have we got? George Christensen. On, he's uh, talking about climate change. Have a listen to this, and then we'll get back to what I was talking about. It's uh, eight minutes to seven. Eight to seven. I rise to paint a picture of climate change, a picture where Camden, just to the southwest of Sydney, is sweltering in 50-degree heat. Over in the west, it's 51 degrees in the shade at Geraldton, even Perth is 44, Geelong 43, Volcania 48, Carnarvon 49 and a half, and Southern Cross is 50 degrees. The death rate is 12 and 100,000 from heat associated deaths. 435 are dead over a summer. This is not a green scare campaign, but the Federation drought 118 years ago. It has never been as hot since, but the Bureau of Meteorology claims it's getting hotter and hotter. How could it be getting hotter? And how could last year, 2013, be the hottest on record? If it was hotter back in 1896, if it was really hotter 118 years ago? Well, administratively, it's relatively simple. The early years are simply wiped from the official record. Sure, you can find the values I'm quoting at the Bureau's website, but they're not part of the official record, the Australian Climate Observation Reference Network Surface Air Temperatures, or ACORNSAT. The official temperature record, the record that the Bureau uses to report on climate change issues and temperature trends, only starts in 1910 and only uses data from 112 stations. But it doesn't use the same 112 stations for the entire period. This 28-page document, which is titled ACORNSAT, Station Adjustment Summary shows that the temperature series for almost every site that makes up the ACORNSAT network that is used to report on official temperature change in Australia has been homogenised. In plain English, 
The raw data has been changed so that the past appears cooler relative to the present. The document tells us that statistics have been used to homogenise the record for Vulcania from 1957, but it doesn't tell us why the Vulcania record doesn't begin in 1910. It is also unclear why ACORNSAT only starts in 1910. The Bureau claims that before 1910 there were no Stevenson screens, a structure now considered standard for housing thermometers, as though this is a good reason for excluding earlier records. In reality, many Stevenson screens were installed from 1889. How can the Bureau justify these actions? Consider the accountant joke, Mr Deputy Speaker. Uh, three applicants for an accounting job were asked the same question. What's one plus one? The first two applicants say two. But the third turns around, locks the door, pulls down the blinds, leans in and whispers, what do you want it to be? Well, I'll be writing to the Parliamentary Secretary this week to request an inquiry into the conduct of the Bureau of Meteorology and the homogenisation process. We cannot have two sets of books at the Bureau and use fudge figures skewed to support a global warming hypothesis as the official records. These fudge figures are being used for media reporting and scientific analysis. We have a scientific process here being tainted right at the source by government department. Well, what do you think of that? 527 TNT Radio News at 7. That is uh, a man by the name of Christensen in Australia. We've got uh, another man saying similar things here. His name is Ian Wishart, and our organisation here is Niwa. They've, they hid information as well. That's all been covered up, hasn't it? They were hiding information that we should know about, making out that, uh, that what happened with Gabriel had never happened before, but it has happened and uh, Wishart, a un, um, very good investigative journalist, I think his magazine is called Investigate. You can catch him online, Wishart, W-I-S-A-R-T, I think it's, Wish, W-I-S-A-R-T, Ian Wishart. You can catch him, he's been doing it for a long time. He was a television uh, journalist, re- reporting journalist, I think with TV3. Uh, he did the Wine Box Inquiry. Uh, well, he was a Paradise Conspiracy. He's written quite a few books. Aircon, I think, is one of them. Talks about um, uh, global warming. Uh, he did, wrote another one about vitamin D, how important that is. Uh, so that's Ian Wisher. I don't agree with everything he says, but a lot of what he says I do agree with. He's a very good investigative journalist. So he's uncovered the, the fact that Niwa hid the information from us here. And this fellow, Christensen, is saying, George, is saying exactly the same thing, isn't he? That's what he's just said there about climate change. George Christensen. Very good. Okay, who have we got coming up next? Well, the media. They hate the Jews. They do. Have a listen to this. Congressman, not the NBC, the media. No, not I have, most I, American I media. I, We're talking, I did not say NBC, about, but, but CNN did. And I will tell media you. Media in it, the Arab world. And I will, CNN did as well. And I will tell you, uh, it is wrong. It is wrong. We need to, when you are in war, you better make sure you have your facts. We cannot have Baghdad Bobs running around uh, promulgating these lies, uh, especially members of Congress. Uh, so it is imperative. Uh, it does matter. Uh, facts matter here. And we need to make sure uh, that people understand Israel did not attack a hospital. Uh, that was a terrorist organization that did that. That's right. I mean, who do you believe? Are you going to believe the terrorists? Or are you going to believe the only democracy in the Middle East? I'll go with the latter. I'll go with the latter. Here's Senator Ron Johnson. This man should run for president. 
it's it's just extraordinary to me that uh, you know the government was working with social media to amplify lies and suppress truth and has been doing so repeatedly. Why couldn't the American people know that you know there were other alternatives to treat COVID? Why, why can't the American people know that there were side effects with the vaccine? This is all pre-planned by an elite group of people. That's what I'm talking about. Event 201 that occurred in late 2019 prior to the rest of us knowing about this pandemic. Again, yeah. you know, th this is very concerning in terms of what has happened, what is happening, uh, what continues to be planned for our loss of freedom. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it needs to be exposed, but unfortunately, there, there are very few people, even in Congress, that are willing to take a look at this. Uh, they, they all push the vaccine. Uh, they don't want to, you know, be, be made aware of the fact that the vaccines might have caused injuries, might have caused death. Uh, you know, so, so many people just simply don't want to admit they were wrong, and they're going to do everything right. they can to make sure that they're not proven wrong. We're, well, we're up against people... a very powerful group of people here, Maria. Oh boy. Okay, we've got news. So we're just about on news. We might have time for this. Let's have a go. But that's the only way this is going to be solved is we need the truth to be exposed. We need more Americans to listen to the truth, to be exposed to the truth, to pull their heads out of the sand, quite honestly, open up their eyes and understand what is happening in this country. We are going down a very dangerous path, but as a path is being laid out and planned by an elite group of people, that want to take total control over our lives. And that's what they're doing bit by bit. They do it by increasing ma you know, massive government spending, increase the size of government, uh, take over of the WHO. These amendments that are coming up uh, that are going to be voted on in 2024 on the WHO are frightening, and they, they really risk taking away all of our sovereignty. But people have to awake up, awaken to the dangers of the moment. Replay of this hour. Go to episodes at TNTradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. Looking back at some of the news that shaped the past week, I'm Matt Boyland. The United States came under fire for blocking not one but two UN resolutions calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. A draft resolution proposed by Brazil condemned the initial terror attacks by Hamas, urged the release of hostages and called for both sides to comply with international law to protect civilian lives. But the US used its veto power to block the resolution, the only permanent member of the council to vote against it. Twelve votes in favour, one vote against... Two abstentions. The draft resolution has not been adopted owing to the negative vote of a permanent member of the Council. It came just two days after the UN Council rejected a Russian-sponsored resolution calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire on Monday. Five countries backed the draft document while four members, including the US, voted against it. Russia's ambassador took aim at the UN, saying a ceasefire was the only way to end the bloodshed and said those who vote against it have blood on their hands. We regret that the United Nations Security Council ended up wasting another precious 36 hours during which the death toll rose even further. A strike against the hospital in Gaza last night killed several hundred civilians. In this situation, the inaction of the Security Council looks unsightly. It was yesterday we warned our colleagues that there is no time to waste. Dear colleagues, I'll say it frankly, since the time for diplomatic metaphors has obviously passed, anyone who did not yesterday support our draft humanitarian resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire must realize that they bear part of the responsibility for what happened in Gaza. 
Also making news this week, the United Kingdom accused China of widespread industrial espionage as Beijing seeks a foothold in artificial intelligence and quantum computing. The head of Britain's domestic counterintelligence service claims more than 20,000 people in the UK have been approached covertly online by Chinese spies seeking to steal industrial or technological secrets. Meanwhile, Beijing's backed a plan by Moscow to build a new natural gas pipeline connecting the two countries. The proposed Power of Siberia 2 pipeline will deliver Russian gas to China via Mongolia. Moscow has bolstered its energy supplies to China after the EU decreased its imports. A group of over 130 world-renowned academics, activists and journalists have penned an open letter condemning government-led efforts to restrict free speech. Coming from the left, the right and the centre, the group expressed its deep concern at attempts to label protected speech as misinformation. They're accusing governments, NGOs and social media companies of violating the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And Germany is reportedly set to start prioritising weapons deliveries to Israel over Ukraine. Here with more is TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Well, hardly a day goes by now where you don't see bad news for Zelensky in the headlines. And look at this latest article here in this report saying that Germany is rerouting some of its support away from Ukraine and over to Israel. So yet another main European sponsor that looks like they're kind of backing off of the Zelensky regime in Kiev. They don't want to be in the open-ended proxy war anymore. And this latest conflagration in the Middle East has provided a real convenient excuse for a lot of countries to do just that, get out of this Ukraine project that they really probably never wanted to be in to begin with, but were strong-armed into it by the United States. Now Israel is attracting all of the cash, all of the arms, and it's the new cause du jour. They're very, very unhappy in Kiev. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen. This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Hear about it. I don't understand the American people. Talk about it. I shouldn't have to just swallow what you're giving me. On today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Okay, five minutes past seven, Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards until eight o'clock, I think. We'll just see how we go. I think it's going to be till eight this morning. Right now, it has just gone nine o'clock in Israel, nine o'clock on Sunday. Uh, and so we pray for the peace in Israel. It's not going to come, though, until Jesus Christ returns. The Bible tells us that, so you can pray for all the peace you like. It is not going to happen until Jesus Christ returns to the earth. Let's look at the temperatures and uh, forecast for New Zealand. Firstly, the extremes. Auckland, Manukau has 13.3 degrees at the moment. Tiaanau has the lowest temperature recorded at minus 1.4. Christchurch is now the windiest, but it's not terribly windy in the eastern suburbs. 24 kilometres per hour blowing through there. Uh, Auckland North Shore has minus, uh, not minus, 0.2 millimetres of rain falling as I speak. Uh, looking at the main centre temperatures, Stewart Island has 7 degrees, Invercargill 2, Dunedin 6 now, Chathams is on 7, Timaru 8, Christchurch 4 and Blenheim 5. Across to the uh, west coast, well just before we do, Queenstown's on 3, uh, we've got France Joseph with 10 degrees, Westport's a little bit warmer so all the coolness is on the 
eastern coast and the west coast is quite warm 10 12 and 12 also in westport and nelson uh blenheim five right and in the bottom of the south island wellington's on four masterton's really dipped down they were both on seven about a couple of hours ago now masterton has four degrees napier 10 palmerston north on nine new plymouth has 10 five degrees now in taupo it's even colder than rotorua which is uh, six degrees and uh, in Gisborne, 6 degrees, along with Tarong and Hamilton. Auckland, 13.3, I think it is there. Yes, it is. In Manukau City, 13.3. Whangarei has 13, and Kaitaia, a little bit cooler up in the north there, 10 degrees. For Northland, Auckland and the Coromandel Peninsula, cloudy periods with isolated showers today, clearing from Coromandel and also Auckland this afternoon. For Waikato, the Bay of Plenty and the central high country, mainly fine weather but cloudy areas returning from late afternoon or evening with isolated light showers. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, cloud and isolated showers clearing to fine through the morning. Waitamo, Taranaki, Wellington and the Wairapa. Fine weather apart from areas of morning and evening cloud. Nelson, Buller and Westland. Cloudy periods with isolated showers clearing this afternoon. For Marlborough, Canterbury, Otago and Southland. Mainly fine weather apart from areas of morning cloud in the east. Cloud increasing again in the south this evening for you. For Fort Fiordland, becoming cloudy this morning with isolated showers developing and then turning to rain overnight. In the Chathams, cloudy periods with the odd light shower. That's the weather. And, uh, well, you heard the news, didn't you? You did. You certainly did. Let's get back to um, front pages of the newspapers there. It's been a bit of a struggle this morning for me um, because of my vaccine injury. My little my as I my childhood injuries. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, my parents told me that I just stopped asking questions when I was about I don't know five, four I don't some some I can't quite remember. And mum and dad aren't around to ask. And Trevor probably won't remember, and nor my sister. But um, I definitely remember not being able to think properly. And sometimes I struggle when I'm doing this job. Sometimes I'm brilliant, and other times I really struggle. And it's always been the case for me. I've had this learning disability. And so there's hope for you, isn't there? <laughs> there's hope for us. Uh, learning disability. And I believe that it's, it was brought on through my childhood vaccines. And here's, here's why I think that. Steve Kirsch, he writes about COVID mitigation policies. He, he writes about vaccines, neurological diseases and conditions. He writes about corruption and censorship and early treatments. Steve Kirsch says... The data shows that vaccines are ruining the health of Americans and driving the epidemic in neurological conditions. He's got the data. Sean, Sean Plunkett, he's got the data. Vaccines, childhood vaccines, cause neurological disorders. It'd be the worst thing you could give your child. You think, well, how could that be? How could it that they've been lying to us all these years saying that they're wonderful? Well, your first step is to go over to a New Zealand doctor's website, Dr. D.R. Sam Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y dot com. Go to her website. She's on Rumble. But look, do yourself a favour. This will be the best $10 you've ever spent. You could buy the book, the hardcover, if you want to. It's called Virus Mania. Go to Kindle. Get a Kindle copy. What is Amazon? $10. And you can read it straight away. I, I guarantee you that by the time you get to chapter 3, 
and there's multiple chapters. Dr. Sam Bailey is a co-author. I think there's about three or four other people that have co-authored this book. Virus mania. People, international people. People that know what they're talking about. So Dr. Sam and her husband Mark both have probably 30 years experience between them, if not more. They were in the system, now they're out. Why? Because they woke up. I think Mark woke up a little bit earlier, but before Sam. And Sam, she woke up over COVID. She realised very quickly in 2020, there's something weird going on here. So they got to and did a lot of research. And they've found that there's no evidence for viruses. My feeling is that the term virus was invented to cover up the damage and deaths that childhood vaccines have been doing for decades. You read that book, Virus Mania, and then you'll see where I'm coming from. There's no such thing as a virus. When they look at viruses under a microscope, they're looking at cellular changes from within the organism, from within your body. It's called terrain. It's called the cellular theory, or the terrain theory. And Louis Pasteur plagiarized Beauchamp's work, Antoine Beauchamp's work, and he came up with the germ theory. Germs don't come from outside. People sometimes say, look, I remember making wine, getting the grapes, and everyone talk, everybody thought, oh, because you see, it was, it was Louis Pasteur that actually saved, so-called, apparently saved the, the wine industry. Apparently. He, he, he reckoned that these wild yeast, well, that's what people believe. They believe that wild yeast is what makes grapes ferment. Yeast floating around, and there's no evidence for this. None whatsoever. There's all sorts of bacteria. When things start dying, their cells start changing. Things start changing. Your body starts changing when things aren't right. When you pull that grape off the vine and you put it in, a, in, your, in your bucket of must and get the girls to take their socks off and wash their smelly feet and get in and, try and squish your grapes like they do in Italy and... and, and, and uh, I think don't they, I think they do that in Greece, Greek islands as well. Anyway, so when that um, when something dies, it changes, and so it happens. Even if you have it, even if you have um, your grapes covered over, you have to put some chemicals in them, some sodium metamisulfate, I think it's called, or sulfite, something like that, one or the other. You have to put something in it. Some people put Campton tablets in. What's that? Chlorine. Is that like put, you might as well put janola in there to kill off the bacteria? But it's not coming from outside. It's not wild yeast. It's just what happens to grapes when they change, when they're, when they're decomposing. And that's what's happening. They're dying. It's dying and it's changing. Everything's changing. And that's what people, and that's what um, Beauchamp saw. Cellular theory, terrain theory. And Pasteur says, no, it's coming from outside. And, and you know what? And you know what? The pharmaceutical industry—they love Pasteur's theory, the disease one. 
the one of germs rather coming from outside to attack you because they can sell drugs to protect you from these terrible germs that are out there but the drugs don't protect you the vaccines don't protect you they weaken you they actually start poisoning your body and you slowly die some people die straight away some kids caught death I believe that's vaccine related all chronic diseases are caused by childhood vaccines all of them Steve Kirsch has the data I think he's talking about I think they, he surveyed 10, 000, over 10,000 people whose mother had never been vaccinated and the children had never had a childhood vaccine. None of them had any chronic diseases whatsoever. So not only does the devil hate your guts so much that he's managed to convince people to give you poison, to poison you, to weaken you, but then you've got this other thing happening in food where they're encouraging you to eat carbohydrates which are killing you making you fat and stupid that's what carbohydrates do to you and they're demonising food uh, off the farm they're demonising beef and lamb red meat the globalists they'll be eating it the, the elites They will be eating it, but we won't be. We're going to be eating bugs. They're working on it now. I'm sure I have something on that. Um, Yeah, here we go. I had this for you. Have a listen to this right after Brewster Taurus. Have a quick listen to Brewster Taurus. He is an announcer with TNT Radio News. I highly recommend you get over there and listen to it 24-7. They go round the clock. Absolutely incredible. They all, a lot of them disagree with each other, but they don't run each other down. The ho- I think I can tell just from listening to it that the people that started TNT Radio, they wanted it to be a voice for people and you don't have to agree with them. There's none of this group think nonsense with TNT Radio. Patrick Henningsen is obviously uh, anti-Semitic. It's so clear. But then you've got people like uh, Brewster Taurus and who's the other guy? Perino, not Perino. Um, yeah, Steve Molsberg. I mean, he's he's incredible. He's, he's completely different. Him and Patrick would not agree. But they all work on the same show. Probably wouldn't work so well if they're in the same building. But being an international... Uh, radio organization I mean they have it's we're talking millions of people hundreds I think there's hundreds of millions of people listen all over the world to TNT radio uh, I haven't got time to listen to it I'm kind of busy on my in my job and on my but when I'm in the workshop I'll put it on and have a listen and they're fantastic I highly recommend that that is um, well worth stop watching our television stop watching New Zealand news media they're just feeding us lies so when I go over and have a look at these front pages that I do from time to time, I'm going to look at them here. Um, you just cannot, you just cannot know. 
It's all slanted. Everything, all the news, they're all paid up, bought, paid, bought and paid for media. And they pretend to be giving you unbiased and all that. But really, it's all driving us away from a nation state, every country in the world, and going towards a one world government controlled by, eventually, we know that it'll be controlled by Satan himself in human form. That's what the Bible says. And when the Bible says something, it always comes true. Let's have a listen to, um, first of all, um, listen to, um, what's his name? Yeah, this is, a, this is very good. This is about how the, the attack on farmers and the attack on food. We've got to wake up. Uh, that's coming up right after this. TNT Radio's Bruce de Torres. Too many Americans and people in other countries feel powerless. In school, we were trained to wait until it was time to do what we were told. Go to the next class where we would wait until it was time to do what we were told. We did not evaluate situations and make decisions about what to do. Now, too many of us are terrified if we have to evaluate situations and decide what to do. Making decisions and acting on them are how we exercise power. We didn't exercise power then, so we feel powerless now. And that's why we let so much evil happen. We don't think or feel we can do anything about it. The cure is to start evaluating situations and making decisions and acting on them. You will develop trust in your judgment and enjoy exercising power over yourself and your own life. Then you will enjoy encouraging others to do the same things and together we can roll back what is hurting us and we can create new solutions that make life enjoyable. Bruce de Torres on today's News Talk TNT Radio. No Farmers No Food, Will You Eat the Bugs is the first documentary to explore how the UN's 2030 agenda is putting farmers out of business and how these global green policies are disrupting the food supply. We're also investigating how the global green solution is to eat the bugs. I hope that People watch this film with an open mind. We haven't been told the truth. People need to wake up out of 30% of our land before the year 2030. That's only phase one. Phase two is 50-50. It's a massive taking. It's a massive taking of land internationally. And it's not about conservation. It's about control. You start to see that what they're actually promoting is being implemented in countries across the world, and you can see the detrimental effects that it's having. All you have to do is listen to what the players of the Great Reset are planning, because they're very easily tell you, and as the film shows, they, they expose their agenda, and we get to see how it impacts real people, and more importantly, we get to see how they're fighting back. Nobody has the right to tell somebody what they can and can't eat. That's a personal decision. And so this is a this is not a political issue. It's a personal issue that everybody needs to, to get interested in and help us, help us retain the freedoms of Americans to make these choices. So this attack is something that I think everybody impacts everybody, and so they should be watching this movie. This is a phenomenal film which is premiering on September 25th on Epic TV at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Wow, 22 minutes past seven here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. Uh, coming up, we're going to be listening to Matthew Loud about human engineering. You, that's right, folks. You've got no idea what they've got planned for us. Absolutely no idea. Now, before we do that, uh, I've just got to have a look at some uh, comments that have been coming through. One of them here. Jim says, what a load of crap. You keep spouting your fascist shit. <laughs> You've got a wonderful way with words, Jim. 
that was back on last Thursday. Yeah, Jim, there you are. And I'll just have a quick look on the phone, see if any texts have come through. Ooh. Uh, we get the odd one there uh, so far. Now, I'm having, I've got a new phone here, and I'm having trouble getting to it. Let's have a look here and see if I've got anything new there. No. No, 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 no. We're okay. I'm in the clear. Whew. Okay, uh, that's good. So there we are. We've got one listener that thinks I'm a fascist. Now, I don't think. I doubt he knows what a fascist is. What's a fascist? <laughs> it's me, apparently. Uh, probably he thinks I'm a fascist because I'm against uh, a tiny minority within a tiny minority. I'm talking Maori because most Maoris aren't like this. But there's a tiny minority of so-called elite Maori. They think they're actually better than the rest of us. And they hate what they call, they call us Pākehā, what's that white maggot. And they hate white people. That's the truth of it. They even hate other Maoris because they're not from the same tribe. They haven't got the same uh, lineage. It's wicked, really. It's evil. And one, one listener, uh, Matt said that it's because they are um, he thinks I don't know if I agree with it but he thinks that they they come from a line of murdering cannibals they've never they've never got the many Maori became Christians many Maori became Christians that's one of the reasons why it was Christian Maori that wanted the Treaty of Waitangi for protection they wanted to have a treaty with the British Crown because they knew that if they could come under the same laws and have the same protections, they'd be safe. Don't think that Hobson just scribbled it up in the stateroom on board his ship in, um, anchored out in the Bay of Islands there, off Waitangi, the night before. No, this was years in the making. It would have had to have been muted, travelled all over the North Island, it would have been taken and explained, interpreted, and it would have happened. It would have been probably, I would say, because the 1835 Declaration of Independence, that didn't bring any peace. People were still being murdered and eaten by other tribes, warring tribes. It was still going on right up until the 1840s and maybe even beyond. We don't know, but we did know that once that treaty came into effect, that Maori had protection from other warring tribes. And many of them were Christians that were called on it, that wanted this to happen. They wanted to be protected. They wanted to have the same rights and freedoms as uh, what they called subjects, we were called then, here in New Zealand. In 1840, we were called subjects. And as a result, Maori had to cede sovereignty to the to the Queen, to the British Crown. And they were happy to do that because they didn't want to live in fear any longer. Same in the islands. Cannibals up there in the Cook Islands, my friend Bobby, a Cook Islander, Bobby Moikaa, he told me they lived in fear. And he spoke to the old people, his grandparents, and they have all the stories about how they lived in fear of their lives from being killed and eaten. And when Christianity came with Darren Buzzacott and others, a Protestant missionary and homeopath, peace came to the cooks. And same here. It was Christianity that brought peace. 
Now, who were the missionaries? Maori. Maori themselves were the greatest missionaries this country has ever seen or produced. I became a Christian because of the preaching of a Maori kaumatua, John Comini, 1970. I heard him preach. And I became a Christian because of his testimony. And that's how it works. Maori was the greatest evangelist this country's ever seen. The best. And they were the ones that went all over New Zealand, North and South Island, taking the gospel. Two of them were very young, under 20. The son of the mighty uh, cannibal himself, warrior and cannibal, a very clever man. But he was a bloodthirsty cannibal. I believe he became a Christian later in life. I'm not sure. But his son, Tamihana, did when he was very young because he was going to the mission schools, the Protestant mission schools, set up. All the Catholics did was teach you to the mumbo-jumbo in Latin. That's all they did, little prayer books and stuff like that. They didn't preach the gospel. They preached darkness, pagan, pagan idolatry is what they taught. But the Protestant missionaries came to New Zealand and they taught English. They, taught, they were the ones that, that gave Māori the written word. They didn't have a written word. All they had was spoken word. And it was Tamihana Tarapraha and his cousin, I think his name was, I can't remember, Tewiriwiri. Some would say Tewiriwiri, but it's Tewiriwiri. And those two, they convinced Hadfield and another Protestant missionary to come to, um, I think it was Otaki, and that's down sort of south of Levin, north of Wellington, and they convinced them to come, and they bought, they bought um, as many little gospel tracts and little Bibles, little New Testaments as they could possibly get, and they even translated them into Maori language as well. But they, they, these kids, they went and preached, because most people that they were talking to they had no idea. They couldn't read or write where they were going, but these kids could. There was lots of, and you know, if you've ever, if you ever read any of Tamihana's um, Tarapaha's work, his writing is better than probably almost any child that's coming out of the education system of this country. His writing is far superior. He lived like an English gent. He loved it. He loved civilization, and he loved. Christianity, and him and his nephew, uh, cousin, they went to the, some of the tribes down in the South Island and they preached the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, by believing that he died on that Roman cross 2,000 years ago, was buried and rose again three days later, according to scripture, that's what they preached. These two boys, under 20 years old, went back to the, to the tribes that his father, and I believe that Etamihana, when he was young, was on one of them as a young boy. Might have been 10, 11 or 12, don't know. But he was actually involved in some of those murderous cannibal attacks of other warring tribes in the South Island. And I think one of them said to him, what have you come here to kill us like your father did? 
He said, no, I've come to bring you the good news. Come to bring peace. He could have been killed. And that's what he did to bring the gospel to these people. So his heart was completely transformed, completely changed from being brought up in a family, a warring family with, with savages all around him. Man-eating savages. That's what he, he grew up with, Tamihana. And then he heard the gospel. He learned to read and write in both Maori and English, as did the Protestant kids in the mission houses, in the schoolhouses. And then once he knew how to read and write, and he, had the, he, had the, he believed the gospel, he believed it, and it transformed his life, him and his nephew and many, many other Maori. Went right throughout this country. The greatest missionaries New Zealand has ever seen were Maori. Not Protestant, not the colonists. There was just a few missionaries that came out. And what they focused on was teaching. Teaching English and Maori. Teaching young people, young Maori children and their own children in these little furries, little huts that were schoolhouses. I think it was Thomas Kendall and his wife. Was her name Kate? Can't remember. He was one of the first, I think 1814, set up the first schoolhouse. I think it was in the Bay of Islands. I can't be sure. But that's what the missionaries did. They were here basically teaching. They were teaching children, their children. Many missionaries didn't want colonization to happen. It was the Maoris that wanted it because they knew that if there was, a, there was, if there was more um, British people living in this country, they would be safer. Because with the crown and the laws of the United Kingdom, they wanted to come under those laws. They wanted protection from other tribes. Some people say they wanted, it, they wanted them to come here because they were frightened of the French. They'd rather have the French, Roman Catholics, the French. Uh, they wanted protection from each other, from other tribes. And they got it with the Treaty of Waitangi because the Declaration of 1835 didn't do, didn't do anything. They needed to have a treaty with the United Kingdom for protection. And the United Kingdom said, oh, well, this is going to be a big one. Well, they could see on the cash register, I suppose. Well, they needed a place to put their people. And they thought, well, this is good. And it looked pretty, looked like there was some, you know, they look at it and think, well, we can do something here. And Maori, thinking Maori at that day, not the ones we've got now, some of the heart. I'm not talking about all Maori. But thinking Maori back then, prominent Maori, wanted English to be taught in schools and not Maori. They didn't want their children to be learning Maori. They could learn that at home. They didn't want their children speaking it because they could see they're going to fall behind and they wanted to be a part of this, this uh, civilized world. They wanted to be part of civilization. They could see this was the best thing for us because they're incredibly intelligent. They're incredible traders, very good. They've been trading with whalers for a long, long time well before um, missionaries came here. And they knew that they needed to have, um, they need, their kids needed to be able to communicate in English because that was, that, is the, that was the trading language that, that everybody used. And so a lot of people say, oh, you know, the Maori, they didn't know what they're doing, they signed with an X and all that sort of stuff. Lots of Maori could read and write. 
Some of the old chiefs maybe not. But lots of the young people could write and they were there as aides. And you know, people, you know, I don't know why they do this, like to dumb them down and make out that they were stupid. Maori back in the, in the mid 19th century were not stupid. And they're not stupid at all today either. But what we've got is we've got an elite group of Maori calling themselves what is that, corporate iwi or something. Iwi. There's an elite group of them which are lording it over everybody else. And we've got communists, and this is happening in every country in the world. They're trying to use the indigenous, so-called indigenous people of every country to destroy our Western way of life, to destroy the Western world. It is a war on the West. They need to destroy it so they can reset it. The Great Reset. And it's a globalist, a collectivist trick. And everybody's in on it. And most people don't realise they're being used. I'm sure Chris Luxon and Chris Hipkins don't realise they're being used by demonic forces. The globalists. Because the Bible tells us there's going to be one guy at the top and he's going to be possessed by Satan himself. And so where we're heading in this country, in, in, in the world, I should say, this whole earth, where we're heading is towards a one-world government. That's where we're heading. And they're going to make us sick because they're going to, we're going to be eating bugs and having jabs. There'll be new viruses, so-called. You're going to have to have your shots or you're not going to be able to buy or sell so I would say the shots will be in the mark. It'll be you won't be able to buy and sell without it, and you you won't be able to buy and sell unless you have the mark. Well, what is it? It might be you're not allowed to buy and sell unless you have the jab. Is that what it is? So it's obviously going to be a blend of health and uh, banking and identification, all in one. We're just we're just going to be animals. That's what that's how they treat you. You're just an animal. And um, uh, you're just, uh, you know, human cattle, goyan, and we're the elites. And the Maori so-called elites now, the, the, this, this is my tiny minority, which, are, which most Maori are against, but many Maori follow that don't understand how clever they are with the globalists. And these, they go for just this, this group of elites, they offer them bribes. They do. They offer them money. I mean, look at them. I mean, I think it was John Tamaki, not John, Brian Tamaki, from Destiny Church. He said in one of his speeches, I mean, whatever you think of him, good or bad, it's up to you. Um, anyway, that's another matter. He said that he, we were getting a billion dollars a year. The Maori, the Maori caucus were getting a billion dollars a year. That's our money. That's our taxpayers' money that we're paying this mob of crooks. The New Zealanders, we're waking up though, aren't we? But I can't believe Māori do as well as they have. So there's still a lot of influence there. National went down in the heap. Sorry, Labour. But National, it's the same thing, guys. It's exactly the same. Labour and National are the same. What, they're just different colours. 
One's a little left of centre, the other one's a little right of centre. But they're the same, they're all globalist, collectivism, for the common good. Majority. Like I said before, the lynch mob, <laughs> that's, that's um, democracy, because there's more of them than there is of the guy at the end of the rope. Okay, uh, Steve Molesberg, the rainbow. There's going to be a rainbow alert. I didn't know this, but they have alerts out for children when they go missing. And some people are complaining that black children aren't um, getting uh, the same care. There's not the same um, sort of um, urgency to find them when they go missing in the United States. Have a listen to Steve Molesberg. I like him. He's on TNT. He's one of the broadcasters on TNT Radio. Some say that if you want to know what the left has up its sleeves, look to California because it usually starts there. So get this, the latest example of racism by that state. You've heard of an Amber Alert. It's designed to track down missing children. It's been around for about 20 years. Of course, children of all races are included in that program. But some critics say African-Americans are often overlooked by the notification system. You see the difference of when um, white girls go missing and um, black girls go missing. The sense of urgency is not there. African-Americans, whether they're children or young adults, are often listed as runaways. State Senator Stephen Bradford is the author of a new law that creates ebony alerts for a community disproportionately impacted by missing youth. That's from CBS News in Sacramento, California. The Amber Alert only deals with kids 17 years and younger. With the ebony alert, it'll be from 12 to 25 years. What's that about? Now, this state already has feather alerts for missing indigenous people and silver alerts alerts for seniors. So what's next? I predict a rainbow alert. And you know who that'll cover. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg for TNT Radio. Okay, here's one you need to listen to. 20 minutes to 8 with Grant Edwards on the Liberty and Z Breakfast. Good morning. Thanks for joining me. Hope you're having a great morning. The weather doesn't look too bad, does it? What is it... Um what have we got for the country? Um, let me see. Oh, where am I? I'm completely lost lost the plot here um what have we got if you're up in northern it's just going to be cloudy a few isolated showers going to be okay clearing in coromandel auckland's going to be good mostly fine for the north island just a few odd shower there down south just a few cloudy periods a few showers mainly fine isn't it and in the north island and uh, yeah it's not too bad it's not a bad day for the whole country really temperature's a little bit cooler though uh i want to um, I want you to hear this little clip from Matthew Loud about human engineering. This is scary, folks. Hunger, diseases, coastal flooding as a result of climate change. We may be beyond the point of no return. Scientists believe that we have no choice but to consider geoengineering. This is large-scale manipulation of the Earth such as spraying sulfate aerosols into the ozone layer in order to increase the reflectivity of the planet. But geoengineering is very, very risky. We have never attempted these technologies on such a large scale. So we could end up destroying the entire ozone layer. I want to consider a class of solutions that have never been considered before. Human engineering. It involves the biomedical modification of human beings. I'll give four examples. Here's one. 18% of greenhouse gas emissions come from livestock farming. So if we eat less meat, we could significantly reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. 
Now, some people would be willing to eat less meat, but they lack the willpower. Human engineering could help. <laughs> Just as some people are naturally intolerant to milk or crayfish, like myself, we could artificially induce mild intolerance to meat. <laughs> By stimulating our immune system against common bo uh, bovine proteins, and in this way, we can create an aversion to eating eco-unfriendly food. And we can do this, for example, by having meat patches, kind of like nicotine patches. People can then wear these patches before they go out for dinner to curb their enthusiasm for eating meat. That's Matthew Loud. Listen to them all. Can you hear them in the background? They're all. They're all cheering and clapping as if it's a good thing to not eat meat. Do you know, since I've been on this carnivore diet, I've never felt so healthy. Old ailments have disappeared. I've lost 17 kilograms of meat. <laughs> 17 kilograms of weight. That happened in the first three months. I've been at it for about, I think, four or five months now. Five months, must be. Might even be longer. I don't know. I'd never go back. Not unless I had to. When I go to friends' place, and sometimes, you know, all they've got is lots of carbohydrates around chippies and stuff like that, and you're like, oh, well, just a little, you know, won't hurt to have a packet of chips. <laughs> I certainly, I, you know, it is very tempting. Very tempting. That's half the thing. It's really hard to not eat any carbohydrates. I mean, I'm even starting to realise that some of the rubs, you can't have some of the rubs, they're just full of carbohydrates, a lot of those rubs. Well, they've got it in them. And I'm trying, you know, I don't have sugar anymore. I miss sugar. I used to love sugar. A teaspoon of sugar in my coffee. Loved it. Now it's all gone. Don't have any. But I do have, you know, I have, I have a, a bit of beer. And that's carbohydrates. So I've really got to cut that out as well. If I want to be a real, just a protein boy. But I, I've never felt so healthy in my life. And that guy Ward, Matthew, Matthew Ward. That was his name, wasn't it? Matthew Ward. Human engineering. Matthew Loud, I should say. Loud. He thinks it's a good thing. They're going to give you a patch, is it? to keep So you don't have the sensation that you don't want to eat, eat meat. So they're going, to do, they're going to do this to us. They're convincing us. And all the vegans go, Wee! I think vegan, veganism is demonic. I really do. I think those seven-day Adventist people that just eat, not all of them, but many of them do. A lot of them cheat, don't they? They pretend they're not, they pretend they're vegans. But look at Sanitarium, that's Seventh-day Adventist. And that's all, you know, they don't go doing meat products, do they? And I can remember my first experience of a, of a she was very sweet, came to our school, Seventh-day Adventist school at Levin, at um, Fairfield School, and, and uh, what was it? MacArthur Street. I remember all the names. Uh, I used to walk to school. Anyway, um, I remember her, she came to school and she had some fake meat and it was like, I think it was, um, what was it? It tasted just like meat, actually. But it was fake meat back then. We thought it was all funny. didn't taste as good as the stuff that mum, mum served up for us. But that's what they want to do, so we don't eat meat. They're going to do it by, by, by changing us, by giving us things, so that we don't have a desire to eat meat. Why is that? Because they want to eat it all. Klaus and the boys... They want to eat it. Now, what's coming up next? 
what have we got? I mean, as far as, you know, the next scare, what's it going to be? Is it going to be another virus? You know, maybe. Or is it going to be, we've got climate change going on at the moment, haven't we? That's being pushed by the globalists, climate change. But what about a cyber attack? What about a cyber attack? Klaus reckons that's what's coming next. They always give you a warning, don't they, of what's coming. We all know, but still pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. The COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack. To use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity to reflect on the lessons the cybersecurity community can draw and improve our preparedness for a potential cyber pandemic. 14 to 8, Klaus Schwab there. Klaus, I've got a song from, about him. He, it's a bit of a... Ah, oh, it's a funny one. Uh, it's quite good. The video's good. I have it sent to me. I haven't transferred it to um, MP3 yet, so I'll play that in the, this week. That's quite funny. Quite well done. Um, Klaus Schwab, so that's what's coming. Our cyber attack. They want to get us off... They want to get us offline. They don't... They know that this is how we communicate with one another. It's not going to be a cyber attack. It's going to be done on purpose. They said they they're going to have to shut down the internet. Other commentators are saying... Why would they want to do that? To stop the information flow? To bring in their cashless society? No transactions? No communication? Gosh, it'd be, be just terrible, wouldn't it? Most people haven't got enough food to last you know, more than a few days. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in supermarkets if something like that happened? A cyber attack, so-called? Scary thoughts. So that's what's coming next. So we've had the COVID, the, the fake vaccine, uh, and then we've now got the fake climate change narrative, and then that now we've got a Klaus Schwab telling us that the, the cyber attack, that's what's coming next. They always tell you up front what they've got planned, don't they? All right, uh, let's go to the front pages. But before then, let's have a listen to Samantha Edwards uh, talking about Pharmac. And you can see this in her latest documentary over at countersmedia.com. Countess, uh, sorry, yes, Counterspin Media, counterspinmedia.com. Samantha Edwards is her name. Uh, her uh, media organization is called Samantha Edwards Reports, and it's the latest one. You'll see it there. It's also on band.video and um, Mad Max TV. After the end-of-life choice bill was finalized, Jenny Marcroft, Winston's MP that secured its referendum, then took a hiatus to Labour in 2021, but returned to New Zealand first in 2023. Upon her return, she announced that New Zealand First would reform Pharmac and that the party had agreed to support her proposal to increase the big pharmaceuticals budget by $1.3 billion. The Pharmac model clearly is not working and hasn't been so for a while. New Zealand First will scrap that model and will also pump $1.3 billion extra into our medicines funding. 
At the same time, Winston Peters announced that he would be seeking COVID-19 jab mm. injury compensation from the New Zealand government. Now, I find two aspects quite strange here. The first being that our government has not permitted the mainstream media to publicly acknowledge the existence of COVID-19 vaccine injury. But when it comes to New Zealand first electoral promises, they are indeed permitted to acknowledge them, which to me anyway indicates that Winston is a part of the government propaganda machine. The second aspect is that he's promising the government to fund this compensation. Why the New Zealand government? Why did he not say he'd be seeking that from Pfizer or any of the other big pharma companies that injured and killed our people? Why would he be asking the New Zealand taxpayer to pay for their own jab injuries? Again, we see a clever move by Winston that causes him to appear to be on the side of the people when the truth just may be something quite different. If you think about it, this move protects Big Pharma and their relationship with our government. Not only is Winston Peters not holding the criminal to account with this promise, potentially allowing Big Pharma and the globalist organisations that force them upon us to escape unscathed, but he's now opening up the New Zealand market to Big Pharma more than ever by declaring an extra $1.3 billion set aside to be spent on their products. So to get this straight, Winston Peters is promising compensation, reparation for jab injured Kiwis, where they themselves will pay for the injuries inflicted upon them by Big Pharma, while at the same time ensuring increased government spending to the tune of 1.3 billion of our dollars on the same Big Pharma companies that inflicted those injuries and also killed many of us. That would do nothing but perpetuate a system where Kiwis keep getting sicker while the cartel keeps getting richer and never being held to account for their enormous crimes against humanity. Not sure that that's justice. But that's what Winston Peters seems to be trying to sell us as justice. Yeah, that's right. It's eight minutes to eight. You're on the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. Uh, Samantha Edwards there, no relation to me, but you can see her over at Counterman Media. It's called Winston Rides Again. Very important to see that. You should have should have been out months before, I think. I think Samantha even agrees on that one. Uh, and it could have changed the um, could have changed the election. And if the election electoral commission had uh, made sure that the, all of the 33 um, candidates for NZ Loyal uh, actually were able to be put up, put in, be included, because one, I think one form, when they did it, one form said 33, the other one said three, and they didn't pick it up. They picked up everything else. They made things very difficult for NZ Loyal, the Electoral Commission, who were supposed to be there to help, but they didn't help very much, did they? Not on that, not that time, and it went through as a mistake, and so it ended up just being three. That was a bit of a waste. All right. Now, uh, what have I got coming up to? I've got... Um, uh, yeah, I wanted to you to hear uh, Senator Ron Johnson. I think I did play him earlier on. I played a couple of clips. I like him. He's uh, He really is good value. He understands. This is um, Senator, the United States Senator Ron Johnson. He understands that we are being um, pushed towards a one-world government. He understands what's going on. We need a few more politicians like that. We don't have anyone except for Liz Gunn and the New Zealand Loyal Party. You watch them next election, next three years. Let's hope that they're not going to take away elections altogether. Uh, let's hope they don't bring in machines so that they can dictate who, who wins elections. But as I was thinking this morning when I got up early to ground myself, to put my, put my feet on the, on the grass 
and get a grounding. It's very important to do that. I really do. I'm a, I'm a strong believer that that's, that's a natural thing to do. That, that's what we're missing. We wear shoes and we, um, we don't get fully grounded. It's all part. Our, we are supposed to be have our feet on the ground. Anyway, uh, but I was thinking, you know, we've voted the, the Reds out, the Communists, and that, now we've voted the Blues in. But really, they're all on the same team. They're just basically just competing parties for the job of running the corporation, running the country. You know, that's why we have people that, uh, you know, they're not really, they're not real, you know. Gosh, um, they're sort of not like um, the politicians of the past that loved, that were there, like those America, those early American fathers. You know, they were there for the people weren't they? They were serve, they're truly serving the people. These politicians that we've got, they're not serving us. They're serving themselves. They're serving the Europeans' uh, new government, the new world empire that's going to come. That's who they're serving. A globalist entity. A foreign power. These globalists. That's treason, folks. And that's what we've got. These corporate leaders... They're not like the old ones. They're sort of business people, aren't they? Executives. Because that's what Christopher Luxon is. He's a former Air New Zealand executive, chief executive officer. I think he got to, didn't he? Mm. So he's running our country now. So it's all about profit. You know, do they really love the staff at Air New Zealand? Did he? Not really. It's all about making sure the shareholders got wealthy. Making sure that that's how they keep their job. They've got to keep the bosses happy. The shareholders, the stakeholders, they're the ones. But that's what's, that's wrong, you see. So that mentality coming into our politics is wrong. So who are the stakeholders? Well, we don't know. Because it's fifth generation warfare. As Robert Malone says, that's what he calls it. Fifth generation warfare. Robert Malone. Have a listen to this. In true fifth-generation warfare, you do not know who your opponent is. Example, who is responsible for, who's the puppet minister behind the COVID crisis as, we, as we've experienced it? Who is it? Anybody here know? Was it Klaus? No. There's something above Klaus. Was it Biden? Um, was it Tony Fauci? These are all surrogates, okay? You don't really know who is managing the message that has been propagated on you. That's fifth generation warfare. Over the last three years, Western governments, non-governmental organizations, transnational organizations, pharmaceutical industry corporations, media and financial corporations have cooperated via public-private partnerships, which I assert is a euphemism for fascism to deploy the most massive globally harmonized psychological and propaganda operation in the history of the world okay over the last three years you have been subjected to the most massive harmonized globally coordinated propaganda campaign in the history of the western world full stop campaign the governments of many western nation states have turned okay this is key 
military-grade psychological operations strategies, tactics, technologies, and capabilities developed for modern military combat against their own citizens. These are inconvenient facts. The world that many of us believed existed no longer exists if it ever did. Dr. Robert Malone, it's two minutes to eight. We'll have TNT Radio News at eight. So what do you think of that? We don't actually know who we're fighting. It's not Klaus. We don't know who it is. We don't know who it is that wants to take over this this world and control us. Our Bible gives us a clue. It says it's the devil, the god of this world, Jesus called him. That's what he is, the father of lies. So everything that you hear, everything we hear and see, it's probably lies. Everything that you were taught at school was probably not true about the world, about everything, about medicine, about the world itself. Could be just a lie. More than likely it is. Why? Because the God of this world is Satan. Now, how come he's the God of this world? I thought, I thought God, the God of heaven and earth, I thought he was the one. No, no, no. Man was, had dominion over the earth, the Bible says. And then when man sinned, and took that fruit and ate it, disobeyed God. It could have been a, look, putting a red sock on or something. It could have been anything. You can, you can do whatever you like. You can, do, you can wear any colored socks you like, but don't wear those red ones. And so God, they disobeyed God. They ate the, could have been anything. But he said not to eat the fruit. And so what did he do? He ate the fruit. He disobeyed, and then he lost the keys to the kingdom. And who were they given to? Given to Satan. He took over because he was cast to this earth. He was here before man was here. Yep, he was here first. And so, and that pissed off the devil when God put man on the earth. That really upset him. Anyway, so yet the God of this world is Satan because we've lost, because mankind sinned against God. And the keys got handed to Satan. And he's the father of all lies, the Bible tells us. All lies. That's where it comes from. And so that's why just about everything that you see and hear online at the moment is probably not true. That's how you've got to look at it. Everything you hear, like I'm just reading this thing here, it says this story, it says, Scenes we've never seen, Gaza hospitals strained as airstrikes intensify. It says here, as the Israeli-Hamas war continues into the third week, doctors in Gaza battle to save who they can. But we don't know that that's true because there's no reporters in there. It's Hamas. It's Paleywood telling us what's going on. Hi, what we have... Oh, actually, we've got news. Sorry, folks, and we've got that speech. Actually, I'll tell you what I've got. We'll bring that. I can put that on a slow record. Just for a moment, I'll give you... I will give you the full news item. This one's probably more up-to-date anyway. I'll give you the the latest uh, up-to-date news because what they do over the weekend... Uh, we don't actually get all of the um, news. It doesn't actually happen because they're a day late. And so they seem to just, you know, uh, do pre-recorded stuff. That's what I've noticed. So this is the latest one that I've got from them. And here it is now coming up. OK. Now, TNT Radio News. Recapping some of the news that shaped the past week. I'm Matt Boyland. 
Australia's opposition leader slammed the nation's Prime Minister, accusing Anthony Albanese of acting in his own interests when he announced his divisive Indigenous referendum. Australians resoundingly rejected the PM's proposed Indigenous voice to Parliament in a national ballot last Saturday. And after leading the No campaign to victory, the country's opposition leader, Peter Dutton, said he was relieved with the result. I feel a sense of relief uh, for the country because I think we would have changed as a country and not for the better. Most importantly, I don't think we would have got the practical outcomes for Indigenous Australians that, that we all want. Speaking with 60 Minutes Australia, the Liberal leader said he was willing to back the Labor Prime Minister if he removed the voice from the referendum and focused only on recognising the nation's first people in the country's constitution. But he said the Prime Minister refused to meet him halfway. The fact is that the Prime Minister acted against advice. He was warned not to take the country down a divisive path and he made a deliberate decision to keep the design of the voice from the Australian people. This is very significant. There wasn't any compromise. Uh, what we said was we'll meet you halfway and halfway is recognition of Indigenous Australians in our constitution supported I think by 80% of Australians but for his own reasons, for his own motivations, for his own self-interest the Prime Minister thought that he could have his red fern moment and uh, I don't think that's the leadership that Australians want in their Prime Minister. When it's all about them, it should be about our country, about Indigenous Australians, about a moment of unification, and he squandered that opportunity. Also making news this week, the US State Department confirmed 30 Americans were killed during Hamas's initial attack on Israel on October 7. A further 13 remain unaccounted for. And speaking with Fox News, US National Security Spokesman John Kirby wouldn't rule out sending US troops to rescue those that are still being held hostage. I think you can understand, I hope everybody can understand, that we're going to be careful about what we say publicly about our efforts to get those hostages home. Secretary Blinken's in the region right now, traveling around. This is high on his agenda. I can tell you we're working this literally by the hour, but we're not going to get ahead of where we are in terms of policy options since we don't have necessarily all the information we need to try to get them home. I will say last thing, and I promise I'll stop, is uh, this is obviously high on the prior, prior, president's priority list. Nothing's more important to him than the safety and security of Americans that are held hostage overseas, and we're not going to stop until we can get them back with their families. Would you absolutely rule out the possibility of any kind of U.S. forces being on the ground there. What I won't do is rule anything in or out when it comes to getting our hostages home. Uh, we're, we're working on this literally by the hour. But again, in, in order for you to develop specific policy options, you got to have a lot more contextual information than, than it's available to us right now. And so we're working at that. Meanwhile, Russia's ambassador to the United Nations warned this week that the Middle East is on the verge of a full-fledged war and believes the United States bears some of the responsibility for the recent escalation between Israel and Hamas. The Russian diplomat also condemned the barbaric level of violence witnessed in the region of late and called for an immediate ceasefire. All Ukrainians who are liable for military service were ordered to attend their closest conscription office this week for an inspection of their documents. It comes as Moscow claims Kyiv's hyped-up counter-offensive has run out of steam. Ukraine's finance minister revealed securing financial support from Washington is becoming more difficult as Kyiv's Western backers shift their focus to their own security. And China weighed in on the conflict in the Middle East this week, saying the injustice against Palestinians cannot continue. China's foreign minister said Beijing would continue to stand on the side of international law, peace and justice as he condemned all acts of violence against civilians. This is a TNT Radio Encore.
Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Okay, five past eight here on the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. Let's have a look at the short forecast. First of all, the uh, extremes. Uh, Auckland still high at 13.3. Tianao, minus 1.4 degrees. Christchurch, eastern suburbs, 24 kilometres per hour of wind there. 0.2 millimetres falling in Auckland right now. Temperatures, 7 degrees right across the main centre. 7 in the Chathams as well and Stewart Island as well. Uh, 2 degrees and 3 degrees in Invercargill and uh, Queenstown. Dunedin and Timaru, 6 and 8 degrees, Christchurch 4, Blenheim 5, uh, France Joseph 10, Westport 12 degrees along with Nelson, Wellington on 7, Masterton still 4 degrees, Napier 10 degrees, hasn't warmed up much, Palmerston North 9, Palm, uh, New, New Plymouth there 10 degrees for you, Gisborne's on 6, uh, sorry 11 rather, as long with, along with Hamilton, Rotorua's on 6, I beg your pardon. Tauranga has 11 as well, Auckland 13 along with Whangarei and Kaitaia. The short forecast for Northland, Auckland, the Coromandel Peninsula, cloudy periods with isolated showers, clearing of the Coromandel in Auckland from this afternoon. For Waikato, the Bay of Plenty and also the Central High Country, mainly fine weather but cloudy areas turning to rain later on in the afternoon with isolated showers. Did that make sense? No, it didn't really, did it? What have we got here? You've got the cloudy periods returning late afternoon or evening with isolated showers. There we go. <laughs> for Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, cloud with isolated showers. Clearing to fine throughout the morning. For Waitomo, Taranaki, Wellington also for the Wairapa. Fine weather, apart from areas of morning and evening cloud. For Nelson, Buller and Westland, cloudy periods with isolated showers clearing this afternoon. For Marlborough, Canterbury, Otago and Southland, mainly fine weather for you, apart from morning and, uh, and uh, yes, areas of morning cloud in the east. Uh, cloud increasing again in the south this evening. Fiordland becoming cloudy this morning with isolated showers developing and then turning to rain overnight. And finally for the Chatham Islands, cloudy periods with the odd shower. That's a news and information, news from TNT and weather from me, uh, also brought to you by Met Service of New Zealand, that one. And uh, so what have we got coming up for you this hour? Well, uh, not much, because I actually think that I'd better go and do some farm work because I can see some cows up by the gate there saying, it's time you let us into the next paddock, because we've eaten all that we want to eat here, and now we want some fresh stuff. And if I don't move them, they start pushing on gates and fences and things, and then I've got more work to do. So I won't be doing that. Okay, um, so that's it for me. I will see you tomorrow morning, Lord willing, at uh, what time am I going to be here? Five o'clock. Don't be late. Make sure you're here on time. Okay, we'll see you tomorrow morning. TNT Radio's Bruce de Torres. Too many Americans and people in other countries feel powerless. In school, we were trained to wait until it was time to do what we were told. Go to the next class where we would wait until it was time to do what we were told. We did not evaluate situations and make decisions about what to do. Now, too many of us are terrified if we have to evaluate situations and decide what to do. Making decisions and acting on them are how we exercise power. We didn't exercise power then, so we feel powerless now. And that's why we let so much evil happen. We don't think or feel we can do anything about it. The cure is to start evaluating situations and making decisions and acting on them. You will develop trust in your judgment and enjoy exercising power over yourself and your own life. Then you will enjoy encouraging others to do the same things. And together, 
we can roll back what is hurting us and we can create new solutions that make life enjoyable. Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome to the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards.